I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. Please don't tell Kermit or I'll be sued by the Muppet Show tonight. My name is Justin Hamilton and you're listening to the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, squidtational, big squid show. Today we welcome back my good pal Ben Elwood as we continue our Christopher Nolan rewatch with a little film you might remember called, uh, let me just check some uh, notes here, The Dark Knight. Hmm, I wonder if I have any thoughts on that. Also, comedian Rachel Melanza checks in from Canada with her new segment, Spinoff. Uh, ends up being a fascinating chat about a very weird move one of Rachel's boyfriends made a long time ago. It really is a head-scratching move, but in many ways, I'm kind of really grateful towards him because it gave us something interesting to chat about. We have the first live Big Squid podcast happening on October 3rd at the New Giant Dwarf in Surrey Hills. We have a big lineup that includes Richard Feidler, Georgia Mooney, Ben Elwood, Beck Dayunamuno, Rebecca Melrose, and Cal Wilson's friend Adele appearing from her abode in Melbourne. You can find tickets at giantdwarf.com.au and if you want some extra information, swing on over to our Big Squid Facebook page. Ticket prices are nice and low because it's been a tough year and we'd hate to ask too much of you in these difficult times and we'd much prefer to just have your company. Numbers are limited and tickets are selling pretty well so far, so if you're keen to come along, please jump on board ASAP. For those of you who are interstate, we're going to be streaming the show online. So I'll share more details about that closer to the date. If you want to stay across all of this, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Justin Hamilton Comedian, or on Twitter, which is Justin Hamilton underscore, or come over to the Big Squid Facebook page. 
Before we get to our guests, a couple of quick shout-outs for you. Rachel Brown, who you may remember as my guest here on Episode 6, has just released her final episode of Season 2 for her podcast, Trace. Rachel and her team were telling us the story of lawyer Nicola Gobbo, who represented some of Australia's most dangerous criminals while also being an informer for the police. With her double life as a police informer now public knowledge, the interviews with Linda were conducted in a secret location, allowing her to tell her side of the story. This is a fascinating journey as one person's truth is another person's fiction, and with a backdrop that includes a gangland war and shady police decision-making, Linda eventually finds herself in a world that provides very little opportunity to escape. I don't want to give anything away, but this season leads to a very messy and real ending. There's no big finale like you'd find in a movie or a TV show. What you instead get is a scary close to the story that will have you questioning everything. Nicola is a fascinating character and you'll often find your allegiances flipping over and over throughout her tale. What can't be denied is that regardless of any mistakes made, there is a certain type of law enforcement for one section of society and then there's the rest of us. And if you think that's a bit cynical, you really need to listen to the podcast. I'll be thinking about this season for a long time. Rachel and her team have done the impossible. They've followed up their award-winning first season with a new story to tell that doesn't repeat their early success, but is just as compelling. If you haven't listened to Trace Season 2, The Informer, I've posted links at our Big Squid Facebook page to make it easy for you to find. If you have listened to all of the episodes and it just finished this week, come and let me know what you think. I'm really curious and I'd love to hear your opinions on Nicola and everything that went into this whole saga. Congratulations, Rach. You have done fantastic work yet again and I cannot wait to see how she follows this up, though I hope it's, you know, a while off because I know how hard she's been working. So I hope she's going to put her feet up for a little while. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention was how gratifying it was to see Watchmen win 11 Emmy Awards. After my first podcast, Can You Take This Photo, Please, came to an end, I had it in the back of my head, uh, a few ideas about producing a new one, but I hadn't really found the inspiration. And when I saw that Watchmen was coming out, I actually pitched the idea of Big Squid to a certain production company as an after show for Watchmen. In that pitch meeting, I told them that this was going to be big and I felt strongly about this for a number of reasons, but mainly because I had just experienced the joy of The Leftovers for three seasons. I think The Leftovers is one of the greatest TV series of all time, but because it had flown under the radar, I knew people were slightly underestimating Lindelof and his team and what they would bring together. I also have to point out I stand by the ending to Lost being brilliant and have often said that over time it will be reappraised once people escape the zeitgeist of that time. That ending dropped at the beginning of the rise of troll-like behaviour online and if there was anything to be learned from that whole sorry reaction it was to avoid social media for your mental health. Anyway, Lindelof went away, he came back with the leftovers and he nailed all of that and now he was taking on Watchmen. From Everything he said in the interviews, I felt incredibly confident this was going to be nothing like we'd seen before. And this was what I was trying to tell these people in the TV pitch. And of course, it went nowhere, as most of these pitches do. You're rarely talking to someone who has a creative bent in any aspect of their life or their body. It's all about numbers. And that's why most TV is shit. Oh, no, I'll never work in TV again. Oh, sad face. We'll bounce back, right? 
Anyway, because the TV pitch went nowhere, uh, I decided, well, you know what? Why don't I just turn it into a podcast and I'll cover the original graphic novel and the HBO series. Now, I remember very vividly after the first episode writing the first script for Big Squid and spending hours on the first seven minutes of the episode. Like, the first seven minutes of Watchmen, which really kind of blew the doors off everything because you had the character of Bass Reeves, who I hadn't really heard about before. It dealt with the Tulsa riots, which I had definitely not heard about before. And it also was a reinvention of the Superman mythology. And that was the first seven minutes. And there I am having to spend hours on this podcast trying to break all of that down. It was hard work. And for a moment, I was like, geez, what have I gotten myself into? I had high hopes for the series, and to be honest, it ended up surpassing them. I felt a bit guilty for (laughs) accidentally underestimating Lindelof and the team that he would bring together. I thought all nine episodes were brilliant, and to see it win all these awards is, is great. And it's also a little bit surprising, don't you think? Because, not because it wasn't quality, but surprising because it's a story that has everything from a guy dressed up in a costume, covering himself in lube, uh waiting staff being used to make a message for a satellite and a world that has tiny squids raining down from up high just think about that like that's that was all in that series and it just won you know all these emmys 11 all up so this is a series that entertained shocked was very funny and it gave us a new look at a genre that some people are you know understandably kind of becoming a little bit tired with It did everything from changing laws in some American states that now teach the story about what happened at the Tulsa riots. Uh, And it also inspired this podcast on the other side of the world. If you haven't seen Watchmen yet, I would recommend checking it out. And if you don't mind, I reckon after each episode, listen to the first season of this podcast so you can replicate the energy and enthusiasm that came with watching it in real time. Who watches The Watchmen? It turns out most of the people who vote on the Emmys. I can't wait to see what Damon Lindelof and his crew create for us next. And you can bet your bottom dollar, whenever it comes out, I'll be covering every inch of it right here for you. Time to catch up with my friend, comedian Rachel Melanta, who, if you remember from our last chat, moved to Canada just in time to really experience lockdown. Isn't that just wonderful timing for that poor girl? (laughs) But she's doing really well. Her spirits are great. And we're going to be catching up with Rachel on a semi-regular basis, kind of like I do with Cal Wilson. So this is the first of her new segments for the show. I won't say any more. So let's jump into the chat right about now. I think we just spent about an hour and a half talking about Robert Patterson and I said, why don't I actually start recording because this is what the show is. Why are we wasting our thoughts on RP? Like, just to catch up, I just saw Tenet, okay? That's it. That's where I'm at. And the thing is, every time I see him in something, I immediately go, Robert Patterson was so good. And I've got to stop being shocked by it because he's always good. I think... The issue is that I think 
Twilight was really big when I was in like late high school and I never got into it. I was never into the vampire phase or anything like that. So he was always just the Twilight guy. And he was supposed to be like, I think he was kind of almost too sophisticated for the role he was supposed to be playing in that, like just everything in that. So I never really got into it. And then since then, I'm always blown away of like, I, like Lighthouse was amazing. He was so good in Tenet. And every single time I'm like, oh, Robert Pattinson though. And it's like, yeah, he's good. <laughs> so Yeah, you have to get to a point where you just accept he's really good at things. It's like what happened with yeah. uh, Brad Pitt. There was a, there was yes. a point where it was like, oh, yeah, Brad Pitt, he's so beautiful. He's so this. Oh, you know what? He's actually really good in this film. And then eventually you, he's just really good. And I think that's the thing with him. I think he's going to have to stop being Cedric Diggory after a while as well. Like, because he was always Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter for ages. That kind of plagued him. And then he went straight back into more teen movies with Twilight. So I think he kind of like pigeonholed himself almost as that teen actor. And then he's done so much independent stuff. And then now, like, I guess this was actually probably his big break back into mainstream films. And he's he's amazing in it, really great. So yeah, there's uh, the second time you watch it, you'll you'll notice more because of the way the story unfolds. You'll notice more in his performance, specifically from his first appearance, and you go, oh yeah, you're bringing something much deeper than uh, than you realise on the first uh, journey through. Definitely, and I'm actually really excited to watch it again because there are a couple of things I'm like, did I miss that? You know, so I'm like, I'm excited to go and see it again. Um, I think I might go and see it on Tuesday, so talk to you Wednesday. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Go talk to me as soon as you get out of the cinema. It's uh, <laughs> Luckily, you're a bit of a Doctor Who fan as well, right? So yes. there's you would be getting some nice... I was mm. getting some nice Who vibes throughout, and I was kind of wishing that, you know like the time war in in Doctor Who had looked a little bit more like what we witnessed in that. I literally said that to the person I was with seeing Tenet. Um, they aren't into any of that really. And um, at one point in the Tenet, they start, um, they like go back in time sort of to like really, and he goes, can you do that? And I was kind of like, well, it sort of depends like about, and I started like quoting Doctor Who stuff and I was like, that is also fiction, Rachel. That is not physics, like what you're quoting right now. And I started talking to him, like what I was saying was like this fact about like time travel, and I'm like, that's fiction. Like, stop talking. I love it. So I've got my uh, I've got my book of uh, physics here, written by the doctor, <laughs> and this is what it says. No, I. It's funny, but that's that's the amazing thing about certain types of fiction in that they do somehow permeate the public consciousness and become fact. So much. And I think particularly like cult things like Doctor Who, I really think like so much of that you almost forget it is, you get so into the world. Like it is such a entire universe that they've created there. You genuinely do sort of like get into it. And to a point where I almost get a little bit annoyed when I find, like, an inconsistency in the story with Doctor Who. Like, if they, like, right. go back in time or something and there's a um, something wrong, I almost get annoyed by it. But like, then I remember it's fiction. <laughs> That's not... I, I don't really have a right to be annoyed at that. <laughs> and, it's, and it's been around for 60 years with hundreds and hundreds of different writers. And, of course, at some point, someone's going to contradict somebody because, as you said, it's all pretensies. 
Oh, see, the one, the one I actually, this is very embarrassing, but um, I'm re-watching at the moment and I'm like, on my re-watch, I'm like midway through like David Tennant as the Doctor and um, very controversial opinion, but my favourite Doctor is Christopher Eccleston. I loved him. I don't I know don't... if that's too controversial. And really? Because everyone sort of trashed him for only staying for one season. And I, I love him. I just loved him. <laughs> anyway, during that season, and she comes back throughout, is um, Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. And I genuinely believed she was based on a real person. Like, <laughs> I am aware that that's extremely embarrassing, but I just need to tell somebody that, like, because Christopher Eccleston says this line when she walks away when she was just a member, and he goes, "Ah, oh, yes, that's where I know her from. Like, she's um, she is the prime minister that led through the golden age or something." I just believed that as fact, and I have always just thought that like England had a prime minister called Harriet Jones. And it was only worryingly recently that I found out that that was not accurate. So I'm very glad I was never quizzed on that at any point. Don't feel bad. I put that down to Eccleston's acting, that he said it with such gravitas (laughs) that you automatically went, oh, yeah, it must have gone Margaret Thatcher, John Major, Harriet Jones, Boris Johnson. And see, that was another one. Immediately, like in my head, I went, um, I went, oh, well, it must have been based off Margaret Thatcher. And it's like, no, it wasn't, Rachel. Stop trying to make, like, stop trying to make this okay. Like, it's not. Also, you're not in a conversation with anyone. You're the only person that you're trying yeah. to make it better to. And you know deep down that uh, you just got it wrong. But. And now I've confessed it to the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I don't feel like you would be 100% alone, not necessarily on that fact, but I reckon there's heaps of things, especially because Doctor Who infuses yes. re- real stories, etc. It would be yeah. quite easy to, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there were kids who would think, oh, yeah, Robin Hood existed and not realise that it was a story. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Well, yeah. like, okay, I'm risking sounding like a real idiot right now, but wasn't Robin Hood kind of based off somebody? Oh, yeah, but I, I kind of mean, oh, like, people would think oh, it was actual, a, like an actual factual story. Oh, I get it. Because if they, you say no, it wasn't, I'm going to look like that's two for two. That's not good. I'm not quite across the Robin Hood stuff, but I think there's lots of different legends that have been spun into one story. Yeah, I like that, though. I, I loved the remake of Robin Hood when it got made. That's one I need to watch again. Oh, now I have to, like, which one? Because I'm old enough that there's been a few remakes of Robin Hood. So there was a TV series. The most recent TV series. Oh, okay. That was good, was it? I didn't see it that was, one. It was good. I watched it on TV. Well, when I say most recent, it'd have to be 10, 12 years old now. But I remember watching that on TV and I enjoyed it. Mm. I think that's the one I'm thinking of as well, which I didn't see at the time. But that seems like the last one. There was a, there was a movie with Russell Crowe. Did you see that? No, I didn't say that. That was um what was that called? That was Maybe that was just maybe that was just Robin Hood. Like, they all seem to they all meld after a while. You know what Hollywood's like. They 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 spin back to uh revamps of old ideas quicker and quicker and quicker. Like I just found yeah. out that there's a remake of a, a reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which the series was only it was maybe like 15 years ago or 14 years ago or... Too soon. And they did a good job with that as well. So it's still in the public consciousness. I just think generally the lead actors 
of something all need to be dead before you can remake it. I just think every like it needs to have been that long. I just don't think if they're if the lead actor of something's in like their fifties or sixties, it's it's too soon. You can't start remaking it. Yeah. Okay. So, but we've just talked about Robert Patterson, and how do you feel about him being Batman? Or is Batman different because it's is Batman more like James Bond now? I feel like it's a bit more like James Bond. Like it's a bit. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like Batman's kind of like the Joker in regards to sort of we know they're always going to be changing. Like that's kind of like whenever you find out about a new Batman or a new anything like that, you kind of always expect a new Joker or a new Batman or something. I don't really have a problem. I yeah, I think it's kind of like James Bond in regards to that. Like it is an ever changing thing. Having said that, Doctor Who is supposed to change. He's literally like he's a time lord. He regenerates, and I get so upset every time he does so the cycle of the doctor who fan is i don't like this new doctor i like the old one and then you get right into that doctor and you go oh my god i can't believe they're leaving they had some of the best episodes ever and then the new one comes along it's like ah yeah they're all right and then it's just continuous and then it, it always feels especially with the hardcore who nerds there's there's kind of two two lots of the tribe i think there's one who just love everything. And then there's the ones who kind of hate Doctor Who, but keep watching it. And they always <laughs> seem to come around to the previous Doctor two seasons into the new Doctor. So <laughs> suddenly you're getting people who really hated the Capaldi era say, ah, you know, it's just nowhere near as good as Capaldi. It's like, <laughs> I remember talking to you during that and you were being an asshole about that era. No, I am definitely the one who, the moment he changes, I'll be like, I will straight up be like, I don't like this new one. This one, and I just need time to adjust. You know, I'm in an emotional relationship with the doctor, and I need to get used to it. And then I'm fully on board. But it took me a minute with Tennant. I got to say, like, it took me a minute there because I loved Christopher Eccleston. It took me a sec. Well, you know, his first episode, he spends a lot of it in bed and pajamas, so it's hard to. Jump on board too soon, right? Who is this guy? Get ready. Come on. Wake up, for God's sake. And I have to ask you, what was the cinema experience like? Had you been to the cinema or was that the first time? It was my first time. Actually, being in the cinema was fine. The actual, like, being inside, it was just kind of like an empty-ish cinema, you know? Like, it wasn't overwhelming. It was more the going in was really weird. Like, because how they've got it... I went um, to one of the big cineplexes downtown. So it's like a really huge um, thing outside, like all the concession area. And it's normally got like bars and cafes and that in there. And they're all closed. So it was kind of like being in there after it was closed. Like it was kind of like being in there, um, walking out if you go to a late screening of something um so all the lights were out everything was boarded up they're not um selling physical tickets at the moment you've got it all on your phone so all the ticket booths were shut down so it was just like very dark and ghost towny that bit was weird but once you actually got in the cinema you were just in a cinema it was just kind of empty you know and did you have any rules like here when we go to the cinema uh you're not allowed to have anyone in front of you or to the sides of you and the cinema is really really clean like like i've never been in such clean cinemas ever i think i did actually notice it was very clean but no one said to me about um you're not allowed to but we had assigned seating so whether like of themselves but at the same time it was a really empty cinema when i went because we went to a matinee on labor day 
So like, I feel like it was going to be relatively empty either way. So I wasn't told about any of those rules, but considering we had um, assigned seating, maybe they're kind of taking that upon themselves to separate, you know, because there was no, you know. That sounds like what they're doing. That makes sense. Uh, and and how is uh, the, the COVID situation uh, up there? Because now, are you getting the smoke? Uh, this might sound like, I'm way off, but are you getting any of the smoke that's going on from America? Because I know that- no, 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 wrong side of the country. Um, it's sort of we are like um we where I am in on like, I'm in Toronto, so we border onto like the New York side. Oh, of course. So um, it's no other side. Um, but apparently it's just terrific there. Uh, like people who've been over that side say that they get it. So I mean, um. Yeah, no, we don't get any of that. But COVID-wise, we're doing all right. We're pretty reopened. Like we're phase um, stage three reopening still. So few people are allowed to sit inside at restaurants and things like that. Um, people are still cautious and our numbers are fluctuating. But school went back this week. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And um, yeah, we're slowly getting there. New health guidelines every day, um, which is interesting. So, um, well, it feels like every day. It's not literally, but... I was saying to you before um, about in British Columbia on the other side, like Vancouver um, side of Canada, BC put out provincial health code guidelines and um, all of them were about like how to behave in different circumstances to stay safe through COVID. And there was one particular list that was how to have sex during COVID pandemic. And, we, you know, we needed, we needed this guy. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I don't know about you, but my dating life is wild during the pandemic. (laughs) I don't really want to know what someone really looks like. And uh, I also want to make sure that when I go out in my wallet, I've got a condom, a face mask, a hazmat suit. I've got a very big wallet at the moment. (laughs) That's it. We all carry very big bags right now. Always be prepared. You know, it's Boy Scouts are finally coming in use, but it's, They put out this guideline and one of the dot points that they got trolled online mercilessly was, um, it said, try and use a barrier, for example, glory holes. And that was actually put out by the BC health guidance. And so they got absolute, everyone on Twitter's going, why is it like that? So do they know what a glory hole is? Well, I have two questions. Firstly... Is that a standard thing to have in your house in BC? I've never been to Vancouver. Do people in Vancouver just have glory holes? Sounds like a swing in town, if it does. Sounds like some fun. But secondly, if you are the sort of person who has a glory hole in their house, do you need to be reminded to use it? (laughs) Glory holes, bidets, if you've got them, you're using them. Right, 100%, 100%. It just feels like if you have a glory hole... In Vancouver, it's not like you are going to read the BC provincial health guidance and be like, holy shit, I totally forgot about that. That's so funny. It suggests to me that they don't quite know what it is. Yeah, a little bit, doesn't it? It's a bit alarming because the way they've... Yeah, but it was... it was They were trending on Twitter for days. Like, it would be going, okay. I would be super impressed if it was someone going, how do we make sure that everyone reads this? Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm going to put in... Something about a glory hole and everyone says, no, that's a terrible idea. So no, no, trust me, we'll be trending on Twitter and everyone will read it. I do love it. But I also really just want to meet 
Like, and that also begs the question. It's like all those things where you go, I really want to meet someone who has a glory hole in their house. But then you have to ask, do I know somebody who has a glory hole in their house? Are they more common than we think? And we're just not talking about it. Could we be that naive? Is it one of those things where I've been over to people's houses and I've just thought, oh, they must be doing refurbishing. But that is... Someone slipped with the drill. <laughs> Someone slipped with the drill. Oh, that's really awkward. God, it's a big one as well. What a weird night. <laughs> what, what a weird, yeah, what a weird place to have a hole, uh, which is a <laughs> sentence you never really want to say. This is different but the same, but I would never forget. I used to work at this place and they did a renovation and it was like a huge renovation um, um, of all the insides. And they particularly did the bathrooms of this um, and it was like a public bar kind of place. And they thought they'd be all swanky. And one thing they would do is like make mirror walls in certain areas. But they thought what they would do is they would create paneling. So they just created like maybe... 30 centimetres horizontal, like a strip around the middle of the room in the bathrooms. In, and that's fine in the female bathrooms because we have cubicles. But what they did is they created a mirror strip of um, wall the entire way around the male bathrooms, exactly at penis height, the entire way around in front of the urinals. So it just meant that everyone, and it was the talk of the town, while everyone was going, if you go to the urinals in those bathrooms, there is just a mirror right at dick height, so you can just see everyone along. That is amazing. Who thought of that? <laughs> There's a few things that you don't want at dick height, and that is a mirror <laughs> and your, your, your friend's dog. Yeah, right. <laughs> but... Uh, it was just one of those things that I always thought to myself, that person needed a supervisor, just someone to be like, look, I know what you're going for, but you haven't quite hit the mark. <laughs> the last thing everyone needs to see is everyone else's dicks. I've, I've <laughs> said that for a long time. And we've been discussing uh, you doing a regular segment on this uh, podcast, and uh, and we, we, we've been trying to come up with a title for it. And how are you feeling? Where, where are you at with it? Look, I'm leaning towards spin-off. I like the title spin-off. I had a couple of other ideas, like Strange Obsessions was one. But then I feel like um, my, my Strange Obsession or something is a TV show. There's something similar about that. And then I started thinking like Premise Road Test or something. But I thought that locks me in too much. It's too boxing in. I think I'm going to work and title it with spin-off. Okay, that sounds good. And it's essentially the idea behind it is when you get into something, it, you then go to try and discover more about and it, and it sends you off in different directions, right? Oh, yeah. I, I love – I'm a bit of – I'm an obsessive person to start with. Like I am somebody – when I like something, I don't just like things. I absolutely need to know everything about them. And not even like them, but just find something interesting or curious at all, I – need to know everything and I will spend like I'm that person who you it's like eight o'clock and then you look back at your watch and it's like four in the morning and I will just get lost and go on the most ridiculous tangents but not only that then I will not stop talking about it I am the most annoying person to be around whenever I find something new like that because you will not escape me I will talk to you about this whether you like it or not. So this is a great outlet. <laughs> well, you know you're in a safe space because I am very much that person as well. So I, <laughs> I relate to everything you just said then. You said you wanted to talk to me about people faking their own deaths. And I was like, what gave you that idea that that's what you wanted to talk about? What was the starting point? 
Well, firstly, I find it very weird that you don't talk to all your friends about faking your own death. That's oh. a very normal thing. <laughs> well, I think about it, but I just don't talk about it. <laughs> right. Well, I watched Sleeping with the Enemy, the movie. Have you seen it? Um, a long night- time ago. long time ago. See, I only watched it very recently. Um, for It's 1991 film, Julia Roberts. She's very young, though I swear Julia Roberts is one of those amazing people. She has looked 30 from when she was the age of 18 to, like, now. She still looks 30. She's just... She's... Like, when she was, like, in this film, I think she was, like, 22, 23, and she looks 30. But now she's she'd have to be 60, and she looks 30. So... Who cares? <laughs> but she looks great. Yeah, absolutely thriving. She is one of those people who I swear, get, like, ages like fine wine. She's just amazing. <laughs> Love her. But I'm gonna look up her age because I'm curious to know. Oh, she's 52. Oh god, then I did not say she was 60. <laughs> well, no, I understand why. But I, I was like. Oh my god! Like that was actually a moment where I thought I don't think she's that much older than me, and then I had a moment of panic, thinking, "Am I fifty-seven? <laughs> Julian Roberts, if you are listening to the Big Squid podcast, I'd like to formally apologise for saying that you're sixty. So I just want to cover all bases. You don't know who's listening. Right? <laughs> you so, don't know. You have no idea. No, I might be into this. So either way, she was amazing in it. It was an amazing film. But for those who haven't seen it. It's basically um, a young woman. She's in an abusive relationship. So what she does is she fakes her own death um, at the start of the film and then runs away to Iowa, which just quietly, um, a really long way between the two. It was was from uh, Cape Cod in Massachusetts to like this very specific part of Iowa. And she caught the bus. And the whole time I was thinking, like, get a plane. Like, this is pre-2001. Like, you really could have done this without ID and you would have sat on that bus for, like, a day and a half. Like, what are you doing? Why is there not 20 minutes of this movie of her stopping every eight hours and her <laughs> back aching and eating right? shit food at roadhouses? She literally, like, had a nap and ate an apple at one point. That was it. And I was like, she would have been on this bus. I think if you drive direct route, it would have been, like, a full 24 hours. There's no way on the bus. So... Firstly, that bothered me, but I just became obsessed with the idea that you could just fake your own death, you know, and just move to another state and everyone would just be totally sweet with this. And that blew me away. So I had to find out a lot more. (laughs) And what have you discovered? Well, before we go further, I have to actually tell you, I have a link to this topic because I dated a guy when I was 18 who two weeks after we broke up told everyone he was... Like, well, he didn't tell everyone. His mum told everyone he was dead. Oh, really? Like, what, like why did that happen? Was he, was he in debt? Was he... Well, supposedly. That's the thing. See, we dated... I was 18. We dated for a while, and he was a he was an, like relatively normal guy. There was nothing strange about him. And then we broke up, and like two weeks later, everyone thought he was dead. Everybody. And no one knew why. And I genuinely, like, we were told there was a memorial service. Like, he was dead, dead. And I didn't go to that, which I will take to my grave my regret of not going to that memorial service. Like, I really, God, I wish I was there. Why didn't you go? Well, because I think, like, we'd broken up and he'd pissed me off. And I was kind of like, I think I'd rather I am heartless, Justin. Wow. <laughs> to, he, he must have really hurt you. Because if you're, like, two weeks no, later, he's dead. Oh, did you? You dumped him, he died, and you didn't go to the memorial. 
it was all very weird. Like he was not a very, like there was some weird stuff around that, but like he owed me money. There was some weird stuff going on. So I kind of thought it was all just a bit, I don't want to be involved. And the circumstances surrounding this death were really suspicious. Like supposedly he'd been killed. And I was like, do I really want to touch this? Like, I think I kind of went, I'm going to make my peace. Like, I was 18, you know? I was really, I thought, I didn't really, I didn't know his parents. So I just sort of went, you know what, I'm going to stay away from this. And then we all sort of just moved on with our lives. And then two years later, I went to a restaurant in Gosford up the coast with my friends. And I remembered that his brother worked at that restaurant. And I, so I said to the waitress, um, oh, is he working tonight? And the waitress said, oh, no, but his brother is. And my friend and I both went, I'm sorry, what? Like, I'm just going to take you back a step there. What, what? And we saw him. He was working in the restaurant, and that's how we found out he wasn't dead. There is a Daredevil comic from the 60s where Matt Murdock fakes his own death and comes back as his brother Mike. And Mike is a gregarious character, and it's a ridiculous storyline. And it feels like your ex has been inspired by a 1968 <laughs> comic book story to reinvent his whole life. Oh, my God. It was, it was wild, but he didn't even move far. Like, he moved to, like, a suburb. Like, that was the, it was talk about hiding in plain sight. Like, it was, it was crazy. But regardless... Is that a moment of genius, though? Like, I'll stay right here and I'll just be the brother? Well, that was sort of the thing that I started like looking at like this week when I was kind of looking into this. The difference between faking your own death, like a social death versus a systemic death. Like, are you going to die like, I'm just going to tell Hemo I'm dead? Or are you going to die to the government? You know, because those are two very, very different things, you know? Um, and I think obviously what he did, like he didn't get a new Medicare card, you know, like he just told everyone he was dead. And... Well, I mean, when you've had people die in the past, do you ask to see a death certificate? Like, you just sort of take people at their word on this, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> it would be very strange if you were like, well, I'm going to need to see a body. So, I'm, I'm really curious about the mum joining in on this as well. Like, why was she helping out with this crazy... Honestly, I have so many questions on this topic about this, but I also feel like that's... I'm, I also don't want to know. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Well, it'd be good to know if you could know without being brought back into it in some way. Very much so. Oh, it was very strange. It was all very strange. Honestly, I think he owed money to somebody, but I don't even think it was much. It was all very odd. It was, I think, honestly, he was a 21-year-old and his mum was a bit weird. I don't think there was right. much more to the story. He owed $200 to someone and he said to his mum, Mum, can I borrow $200? I've got to pay back this debt. She said, why don't we instead fake your death? And he said, okay. I'm not doing anything this weekend. Let's tell everyone you were murdered. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. So have you been doing a bit of research on uh, people who fake deaths? Is this a common occurrence that we don't know about? Well, I have been doing so much research and um, it turns out the first one I found out that there was a guy in New York last year and this he was only caught like early this year, but in the very end of last year, faked his own death and got caught because he'd made a typo on the death certificate. And I was like, that is how I'd be caught. 100%. That's great. Well, I wonder where the typo was. He spelled registry wrong. Amazing. Yeah. He put like the G in the I the wrong way or something. Like, so yeah, but the word registry, he spelled wrong. And they were like, uh, this is a template. <laughs> but That's amazing. When you're putting that together, don't you kind of 
really get very finicky. Pretty specific. Yeah, you'd think you'd send it through a spell checker. You know, like that. I mean, spell check would have picked that up. In my experience, if Microsoft Word is smarter than you, you probably shouldn't be faking your own death. Like that is just, that's words I live by. And, you know. <laughs> they're, they're good words to live by. And <laughs> so what have you discovered with uh, people faking their own deaths? Is there a common reason for doing it? Is, uh, is, it, to, is it to get out of debt? It's usually money. It is usually money, and there of something like 500 people, there was a woman who studied this in particular, of 500 people who faked their own deaths that she found, well, obviously they've all failed or been caught because otherwise we wouldn't know about it, which I guess is the interesting thing about this concept. Are there a lot more people who faked their own deaths and just gotten away with it? So we don't know. There must be. Must be. So, um, but So of the people who have been, like, caught, I guess... Of the 500 she studied, only one was a woman. So it is hugely, usually um, middle-class, um, middle-aged men who do it, and it is almost always about money. Sounds like I'm a prime candidate. Oh, Justin, if you disappear next week, <laughs> I just want you to know, like, let me in on it. I will I will not break. I 100% want to be in on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like the idea of you, like, I'm dead and everyone's upset and then many years in the future. I just won't rock up to the memorial. <laughs> you don't, don't go to the memorial because you'll suspect something. But uh, <laughs> many years in the future when you're allowed to go on holidays again, you'll be in Guatemala and you'll be getting a coffee. And you'll come up and it'll be me, but I'll have a little pencil moustache. And, and you'll say, <laughs> Justin, I'll say, no, Manuel. And I'll have a little badge that <laughs> says Manuel. Run away. Yeah. <laughs> Put your vest in the process and run. <laughs> and just, I've got to go. I've got a, I've got a whole lot of ID and, and lots of different currencies and a plastic <laughs> bag buried in the backyard that I have to dig up. People, yes, yeah, supposedly there are so many reasons, but it's usually about money. But the thing that got me about reading was it is like that so many people do it over things that just it's clearly been somewhat impulsive. Like I was reading about one man who fully went and got like a fake death certificate, like through the black market, got all this stuff to escape student loans in America. And the whole time I was thinking, yeah, but then you can't use the degrees. Oh, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've come so far. Where did you get all these uh, credentials? Uh, you know, around the shop. Oh, sounds like your credentials are bullshit. It's like, no, actually, my credentials are correct. <laughs> right. And that's at the end. I understand that that is definitely the wrong thing to be focusing on, on in this story. But the whole time I was like, but you, you've come so far. Like, you've racked up this much student debt. At least use what you learned, you know? Maybe if you just got a job, you would have... Uh... You could have stayed being Gary and you could have also uh, paid off your debt and it would have been much simpler. I also do want to point out how hypocritical that is for me to say as a comedian who has a law degree. So, <laughs> yes, don't ask what my student debt is, but regardless, if I fake my death next week, that is why. So That's why you're in Canada at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a ex. So, you know, you were saying of, uh, of the 500 that you kind of read about, there was only one woman do you do you know what the her story was it didn't say about her it was just like that statistic was given but i couldn't find about her but a lot of the people um i did find one i found really interesting were people who use like opportunistic moments and um like jump on it which always i find curious because then you question 
were they planning to fake their own death and then they saw a moment or were they literally just like in the moment and were like, hey, this sounds fun, you know, like a new start. Because I was reading about somebody who, after the September 11th attacks in America, um, posed as his brother and put in it and saying that he had died in the 9-11 attacks to, and apparently like they suspect there could have been more people who did that because obviously there was such a huge amount of loss that day. And yet this guy, um, yeah, he, yeah, basically just told everyone he was dead and he got caught, um, a while later, but he posts like two different, two of his brothers and went and took advantage of the opportunity. Wow. That is, there's something, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of impressed by the audaciousness of pretending to be a sibling. hundred percent. So it, like to me, firstly, I find that so like, inter- yeah, he, um, here we go. His name was Stephen Chin Lung and yeah, he invented two brothers. So he didn't even have brothers. That was basically, I believe how he got caught was that he didn't even have brothers. And all of a sudden he invented two to report his death and get like his money and stuff. And obviously, it did not work out for him. And that's how we know. And, and I'm curious: is there a, in the report there? Is there the names that he gave the brothers? No, my God, that would be cool. But no, oh, I really wish there was though. Ah, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it, oh, that see, I find that really interesting though, because my question is: was he always planning to fake his own death? Like, well, what is it? But there's something fascinating about a, a tragedy like that occurring. And your first thought is, oh, this is my opportunity to check out. It's so, oh, yeah, that's exactly, like, just, it's macabre. But, I mean, it's just very, very, like, yeah, I mean, like, that's your thought process that, oh, what an opportunity. Quick jump on that. Like, ugh. I wonder if it's a bit of a, like, I'm sure there would be some people who are awful who are taking advantage of it. But I wonder if there's some people, it's almost like, a nervous breakdown where you see you see what's happened or what's occurred and you're meant to have been there and then you have a disassociative kind of breakthrough. Yeah, well, like, that's a thing. And, I mean, I find all that so... And, like, faking your own death in general, I mean, to, that, this is a pretty drastic step, you know? Like, I mean, the majority of people... Like, there's got to be a lot going on in regards to doing it. So I did read about a guy to... Um, like lighten it right on up this was one of the earliest like known instances of somebody faking their own death is this guy I will find his actual name um and basically he um Lord Timothy Dexter he was an 18th century um self-proclaimed lord and even though he had like a whole heap of money and uh, all that sort of stuff, he was like shunned. He didn't think he was popular. So we faked his own death to see who would come to the funeral to like see if people liked him. And well, so yeah, it was basically all about his ego. So approximately 3,000 people showed up to the funeral. Um, but then. He actually, and like, then he obviously got found out. And then six years later, he died for reals and no one went because they all thought he was faking it again. I feel like that kind of worked out for him because he got the result that he found out that he was popular. And then when he <laughs> did die, he didn't find out that he wasn't popular. I just love the concept of being a self-proclaimed lord. Right. Like, can I do that? <laughs> Why not give yourself a title? Well, what title would you give yourself? I kind of just like throwing Esquire. At the end of my name, Justin Hamilton Esquire. 
Oh, I love that for you. <laughs> that feels good. Going forward, if you don't have Esquire on your next show poster, I'm going to be very upset. Right. Well, I was thinking my, my next pseudonym when I fake my own death. That'll be the giveaway. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who's, who's this brother that I've never heard of before, Jason Hamilton Esquire? It's, it's truly so interesting. The more I, like, read about this and, like, why people fake their own death and, like, this sort of thing, I started, like... The concept of, like, as I said before, like, social death versus, like, a systemic death. Like, how far will you go? And it has all sort of been said, and, like, what they, like, came out of this book and everything as well was that it is better to basically, like, ghost, you know? Like, ghosting in regards to, like, how we know it in regards to dating. But rather than everything else. But I think that's just a very simplistic way of looking at it. Like, I mean, if I just right now stopped talking to any of you, including my family. I mean, I'd really like to hope someone would come and, like, do a few inquiries, you know? Definitely. Like, I feel like in a relationship, that's one thing. Like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel re- feel relieved if someone ghosts me because it's like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to go through a breakup. But uh, when it's... Uh... <laughs> that's so depressing. No way. I would rather be dumped any day of the week. No, I'm 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 47. I'm 48 next week. I uh, I've been through enough breakups of uh, relationships. Even the good ones, like even the good ones, are exhausting. Oh, it's oh, they're awful. But at the same time, wouldn't you rather like, like no? Then you just never know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just relieved. It's like oh well, obviously I've I've sent three text messages. I haven't heard anything. I can get back to watching The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Yeah, that, i got to say, like, I have really reached... I am not a good dater at the best of times. And I really have this, like, part of me now that's kind of like, oh, now I can just, like, watch my TV shows uninterrupted. All right. Like, I've got to be honest, like, the pandemic's been great for getting into that mode. It's like, oh, well, I'm watching everything I want. I'm listening to everything I want to listen to. I'm eating whenever I want. I'm eating whatever I want. This isn't too bad. Oh, see, that's it. That's why we should fake our own deaths. Just this. No one will call. <laughs> No one calls you if they think you're dead. It's so interesting, though, like, that concept of, like, ghosting, though, because supposedly the biggest reason people get caught is because they've forgotten something. Like, it's very, very hard to cut ties with your old life. Like, it's not like cutting ties with a partner or something where you can call them next week if you left your jacket there, you know? If you're dead, you're dead. You can't suddenly remember something. And especially if family or anything do look into it, or not even look into it, but, like, um... Like, I don't know, people go into your Facebook or anything, like, especially with social media these days. And supposedly one of the biggest ways that people get caught is because they have, like, emails they've left in their outbox or something they haven't deleted. And it'll be something shady setting something up to... And that's how they get caught. That's why they say, like, it's probably been to ghost. But then I also go, if the biggest reason to do it is debt, unless you die in the system, well, then how's that going to get rid of debt? Well, then you still got debt. You're still following you. You just don't have as many people to talk about it with because you don't know anyone because you're pretending to be dead. I am positive the ATO would chase you to the ends of the earth. You could tell whoever you wanted that they're dead. The ATO would not take that lying down. <laughs> they're aggressive people. I've always thought that if you really wanted to catch terrorists, just give them an ATO debt and they'd be taken down within months. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. If you really want to catch somebody, just, like, um, sign them up for a gym membership, miss, like, two payments, watch Anytime Fitness go. Oh, my God, the gym membership. Jeez, yeah, they (laughs) will hunt you down.
Are there any sites that you went to before I let you go? Are there any sites that are about faking deaths? I have just done, like, uh, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. They were interesting. I like that. But honestly, ABC News covered a lot of it. Like, I found a lot of news stories in that. Like, but generally, it's all off Julia Roberts, you know? She... (laughs) Though I, the more I did research, the more unlikely I found it would be that she would just rock up in Iowa and be able to, on the day she gets there, rent a house, get a job without, like, anything. Like, just everyone would be like, right, cool, <laughs> no problem. But, but well, I do have one question for you first, though. If you did fake your own death, right, like right now, you had to fake your own death, would you tell anybody? Would you have anyone in there? And secondly, how would you do it? That's a good question. I feel like you need to tell someone for two reasons. One is you probably need someone to do things on your behalf and you need that mild anxiety in the pit of your stomach that they're going to crack at some point and tell somebody. Makes it, <laughs> makes, makes it a little bit more fun, right? It's Just, not fun if you don't have exhilaration. <laughs> right. So I feel like I would definitely tell Limo. I would tell Limo because I reckon... A good pick. He'd be really accepting of it. He'd be like, ah, okay, yeah, no worries. And he would help me out. I don't, Limo wouldn't crack, actually. Limo wouldn't tell anyone. He wouldn't, (laughs) actually, Limo would be really good. He wouldn't even give anyone a hint. Like, Limo and I started performing together, like, 26 years ago around the, uh, the same venue. And he wouldn't even... Like, if someone brought me up, oh, God, it's really sad that Hamo's dead, he wouldn't even say, yes, it's sad that Hamo's dead, in that way where they'd go, well, that's a weird way to say it. What's that all about? He'd be like, oh, yeah, it's awful. And then he'd just kind of... Move on. (laughs) Move on or just not say anything. So I'd definitely tell Limo. Definitely. I would get a mannequin. (laughs) Oh, so you're, you're getting a fake body. Yeah, I would get a mannequin... I would dress it in uh, some of my favourite clothes and an old pair of glasses that I have here. And I would put myself... I'd put Interstellar on the Blu-ray and I would set the mannequin on fire on the lounge and I would... Then people would just come in and go, uh, he obviously just watched it too many times and got too happy and combusted. And what? And at no point do you think any coroner would be like, "Hang on, this is a mannequin." Well, look, I haven't really thought it through. This is just like <laughs> off the top of my off my head. Maybe I'd go and steal a body. Let's go real dark. I'd go and steal a body. But I mean, at that point, they'd still have DNA. Like, I really feel like I really feel like you've got to see my plan. Firstly, by the way, you know what they do is they'd find the body, they'd do the DNA, they'd say there's uh, two terrible stories. One is Justin Hamilton's dead, and two, when he died, he was a, a 68 year old <laughs> woman from <laughs> South Korea. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so he, he completely changed the moment he combusted. I have the person I think I'd tell. Yeah. Is actually Beck Melrose, who you had on. Reason for this, and I haven't actually thought this through in advance. This is just who I think I'd tell. I couldn't tell anyone in my family. My mum would break so quickly. 100%. She would have told the neighbours before I'd get out the driveway. Like, there'd be... Everyone would know. So I would have to tell... I reckon Beck would... Firstly, she's very non-judgmental as a person. 
she's very clever. Like she's smart. She'd be, she'd come up with good things I hadn't thought of. And I truly believe she wouldn't crack. I reckon if you ask Beck, I reckon she has your secrets to the grave. That is to my impression of Beck. Yeah, I reckon you're right. She's really well-spoken as well, and people mm. mistake that for... Honesty. <laughs> well, but also for honesty. But also, so when she did support for me, uh, I think it was last... God, who knows? I think it was last year at the comedy <laughs> store. She comes out and my audience didn't really know who she was and she speaks very politely and she speaks very gently and then she kind of drops the hammer on her first joke and you feel that the audience is like oh oh right this is what's going on here so so I think there's that little darker bent to her that is hidden by her well-spoken vocabulary and her and her, her very neat and precise uh, presentation and if you said I'm going to fake my death she'd be that little dark side of her go yeah let's do this she'd be down I re- and she's just a conscientious and hard-working lass and I really think she'd be down for it I really think she wouldn't judge me and I think she'd come up with some great ideas I think like whatever plan I had Beck would be the one who'd be like well have you thought of this you know I think hey, and my plan for how I'd do it, I'd I'd Harold Holt. Like, I'd go out into the water and be swept away. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So then you don't have to worry about a body. All you really need is leave your towel behind, a book that you were supposedly reading, an umbrella, some sunscreen, <laughs> and, you know, just make sure that, a like, a bathing suit washes up. 100%. Well, that's it. Like, supposedly, like, most, that is a way, like, most bodies are, that do go out at sea do eventually get found. But most, right? <laughs> so you just have to hope that, like, my mum's dream of me being one in a million, you know, it finally, it pays off, you know? But yeah, this is how it pays out. That's my thought. That's how I do it. So... <laughs> I love it. This is great. This is a. This is exactly where I wanted this segment to go. I did not <laughs> expect it when you said I want to talk about faking your own death. I was like, uh, oh, great. This is. I don't know how we're going to get into it, but of course, it's always Julia Roberts who gets us there. I love her. I love her. It's a great film. And you know what? If worse comes to worse, like I can always say, go to Iowa. Like they'll let you get a house and job. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good bet. Thank you for jumping on the podcast and we'll have to have you back soon. Anytime. Thank you. For the first time in a long time, Gotham is beginning to feel a wave of optimism as Lieutenant James Gordon and the police begin to make serious inroads into the organised crime that plagues the city. Gordon has help from two people, one new district attorney Harvey Dent leading the way in the courtroom and the mysterious Batman prowling the streets at night. Even billionaire Bruce Wayne is beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel, a time when he will be able to stop being the Batman and lead a normal life. When a sadistic criminal mastermind called the Joker unleashes an unsuspecting wave of chaos throughout the city, decisions must be made to save the soul of Gotham even at expense of our heroes. It is time for us to take a new look at what just might be Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, The Dark Knight. You've changed things. Forever. There's no going back. See to them. 
You're just a freak. Like me. Nothing. No name, no other alias. Clothing is custom. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Why so serious? Where is he? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. The right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fight in here. I like that. And you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Miss Wayne. for you. Yep. I rewatched The Dark Knight yesterday. <laughs> and what, what, what number time was this for you? Oh, who knows? Like there's no <laughs> point even trying to keep up. At this point I figure you mouth along to the film like it's romper room. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not too far <laughs> off actually. I'm actually acting it out while it's happening. Oh, great, yeah, yeah. I want to see you quick changing costumes it's, in your lounge room. <laughs> it's it's like the end of uh, Bachelor Party when the people are in the cinema wearing three D glasses and there's a fight in front of them. And uh, one of the guys in the cinema says, this movie shit us. And then he, Tom Hanks takes a swing and accidentally punches the guy. And he goes, oh, no, this is great. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> um, but re-watching it, and I hadn't watched it for a while. Yeah. And I have something very important to tell you. Please. It's still great. Yeah, of course it's great. Come but on. it's still great. Yeah, of course. Well, but it's one of those movies where I think it, it, was, it came along. Mm. It was the movie that put Nolan into the stratosphere. 100%. Uh, you know, like people like Batman Begins, but and it did, you know, mm. well at the cinema, but yeah. it was relatively moderate. Yeah. People were burnt by Batman at that point, yeah. and uh, superhero movies were probably more in the, the, the Spider-Man realm of uh, mm. hit, but it was nowhere near like that. And The Prestige did well, but it was also, relatively speaking, you know, a smaller movie. Yeah. So it hit big, and then people were in shock, and mm. then they, it it was so brilliant. People thought it should have been at least nominated yep. for uh, best picture, and because it wasn't nominated, it changed the way they do the totally. best film nominations. Yeah, yeah. So now they, you know, yep. the, you can nominate more than five films. Yeah, and so then everyone loved it. Yeah, and then I think people started. To Pushback. I think there was, uh, and I remember Inception was getting great reviews, and then, then towards the end of Inception's run, there was starting to be some critical pushback. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh, uh, you know, there's that no stakes, bullshit. all that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, uh, and so, then I, I think now it's in that era of. 
people writing articles with headlines like, so are we sure that The Dark Knight is a good movie? Oh, and yeah, that I'm, clickbait shit. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've rewatched it. Yeah. And it is. Of course it is. Yeah, of course. And people are wrong. But we've talked about this before, you know, like, <laughs> we've talked about this before, the pushback that inevitably happens when yeah. something is lauded and celebrated. Mm. It happens with Nolan, it happens with Paul Thomas Anderson, like, you know, people that have just great movie after great movie, yeah. people start nipping at their heels and feeling like they've got to bring them down a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people get angry. There is a part of me that, even though I love the films, I can understand the pushback to some of the fandom that comes with it. Oh, absolutely. You know, like yeah. I, like there's a part of me, yeah. like I'm, I like the things that I like to do well and have lots of people enjoy them. Yeah. But I also don't want to mingle with stacks of those people <laughs> because it's too much. Yeah, I, I, I feel that way about a lot of different, whatever you, whatever they're called now, properties right. or franchises. Um, like I've, I've, I've never uh, taken to Star Wars on any level. I don't, like Star Wars, yeah. You know, but prior to a certain time, I was quite—I was like Star Wars, ag- like agnostic, yep. leaning towards not liking it. Just like oh, whatever, it's just a—it's a movie. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm glad it means something to you. Whatever, right? But with the increase of just give me a day where I don't see a fucking Darth Vader toaster or a Stormtrooper T-shirt <laughs> or some garbage, like, yeah. and and that's what you start pushing up against. Yeah. Just like, oh, fuck off. Like, it's yeah. just a fucking movie. Yeah. Like, it, it shouldn't be replacing religion or philosophy. It's just right. a great entertainment, you know? Right. I, and I think that's the, that, that for me is, you know, Rick and Morty is very much like that. Uh, yeah. You know, the fan base are just appalling. Yeah. Which kind of, I don't know, it's not the fault of the art, no. But it does kind of get into your head of like, you know, well, if all these fucking assholes like it, maybe it is shit. Yeah. So, well, you know, that's that's very much a, a prime example of a show that I enjoy mm. and have only ever spoken about it three times to anyone. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Feel more comfortable just enjoying it. That was great. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I pretend that nobody else watches it. <laughs> so therefore, there's no one to discuss it with. Yeah, there's certain things that come with so much baggage. It's like The Simpsons. The first eight years of The Simpsons defined my entire existence. Yes. But I would never say The Simpsons is one of my favourite shows because we're up to season 30 now. Yeah. So there's 22 seasons of garbage. Yeah. So if you say, oh, I'm a big fan of The Simpsons, people yeah. are just going to assume you're a fan of all of it. No, no, no. And then you've got to start adding all these like, you know, provisos yeah. and everything. It's like, oh, it's just better not to talk about it. It means something to me. That's yeah. all that matters. I really can't be fucked adding all these caveats yeah. to explain. <laughs> <laughs> what I enjoy. Mm. So, yeah, I, I feel like my favourite part of fandom with David Bowie was the 90s when... No uh, one liked him. No one liked him. And I was like, <laughs> I, well, I felt like a true believer. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. I was legitimately listening to the Outside album over and over again because I did think it was brilliant. Yeah, great. And I stood by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he became popular again and I'm, I'm wrapped. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that he experienced a whole lot of popularity and a, and a reimagining and yeah. people... Uh, all Bowie fans now, and I, I appreciate that. But yeah. I, I fucking reveled in the nineties, yeah, mate. <laughs> I reveled. I was, I, I was revel, revel. That's what I was. <laughs> so, uh, so I have to ask you, uh, with, uh, and th- mm. that might be part of the reason why, I, mm. like a very small reason why I love the Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar because they're not uh, as loved by other people, and that's good. So we yep. lose them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get back to the true believers. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, the, the, so the question that I've, so I've tried to find as many different things to talk about because this is a movie yep. that has been talked about a mm-hmm. lot. 
and uh, I, I did. I found some stuff. But uh, the thing I'm most curious about to begin with is, do you remember the first time you saw the Joker bank heist? And do you know where? Because I, I do. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I went and saw mm. it. I went and saw the movie I Am Legend at IMAX. Oof, oof. <laughs> like just to see that opening. <laughs> and you stayed for the film? Well, you know, you paid for the ticket. <laughs> And I had the complete opposite experience. I watched a shitty pirated version of it on an iPhone, an uh, early iPhone. Wow. What, was it, what did it even mean an iPhone in 2008? It was some kind of device. Maybe it was a laptop. Right. No. But I remember seeing, I remember a, a very hardcore Batman fan that we know going, you gotta fucking watch this. <laughs> and it was like, I couldn't even tell what was going on. The footage was so shit. Right. But it was captivating enough of like, whoa, this looks very interesting. Yeah. But I was glad it was pixelated and shitty enough that it was still a surprise, all the little twists and turns when I actually oh, yeah. saw it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. That, that, like, I Am Legend was always going to struggle as a movie. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then you watch that for six minutes and you go, yeah. oh, why am I just watching Dark Knight now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the greatest opening sequences of all time. <laughs> it's so good. And the like rewatching it and uh, watching Heath Ledger throughout it, while he's got the clown mask on, yeah. is great. Yeah. Just the way he holds himself all the way through that yeah, yeah, yeah. opening is fantastic. And, yeah. it, and it reminded me, so I watched Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, which mm-hmm. I'd never seen before, yeah. and you you kind of watch that and go, oh, this is yeah. this six minutes is Christopher Nolan's The Killing. Yeah. Killing is a vastly underrated um, oh, yeah. Kubrick movie. It's great. Yeah. Really funny, too. Really funny. Yeah. Really funny. But, yeah. uh, you know, even down to wearing clown masks. Yep. So, and that's, uh, I think that clown mask is also worn by the Cesar Romero Joker. Exactly right. I was going to bring that up in squid bits, but yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. I'm I'm convinced that there are like, uh, because Nolan is softly spoken in English and I think people mistake that for not having a sense of humor, Mm. but I feel like there are all sorts of nods to all sorts of different types of Batman yeah, uh, movies and uh, TV shows and comics, etc. And there's th- that little shout out to the Cesar Romero Joker mm. has me convinced that in the Dark Knight Rises, when <laughs> when Batman flies off with the bomb, is him is Nolan <laughs> referencing <laughs> Adam West with the bomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> off the pier. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes he just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> Sees the Ducks, the Salvation Army. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. Mo- God, I haven't seen that movie since oh, I was a kid. Mate. That was great. Yeah, one of, one of the one, one of the all time great Batman scenes. Uh, yeah, in, in any him just Adam West running around holding with a it over his bomb. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great thing about watching that as a kid, though, is you don't. I mean, I remember being very invested in it. Yeah, because I didn't actually realize it was taking the piss. No, yeah, you realize that later on. But yeah. when I was seven or eight. I was completely invested in oh. because also the, a lot of the comics that I was reading at that time were the, um, you know, the Bob Kane, um, Bill Finger yes. comics that were you know giant typewriters and yeah. all the rest. So it was just the literal manifestation of that on a TV show. Yeah, I never thought it was camp or you know no. crazy. No, and it would finish on cliffhangers, and yeah, you'd think, great. oh god, do I have to wait till tomorrow to see if they're <laughs> going to get away from the Joker again? <laughs> Spoiler: they get away <laughs> <laughs> every time. But. Uh, it's it's funny the you notice when he reveals his uh, face like the, the the camera shot is mm. just slightly out of focus but it was such a good shot that no one decided to oh really keep yeah, it right. yeah. yeah and uh, uh, anyway we'll get a, we'll get into that a little bit later but it's still such a great opening had you seen uh, 
the trailers as well in the lead up. Are yeah, you- I got very I got very caught up in the um the early buzz about it, right. watching trailers and stuff. Uh, that was back when I used to watch trailers. Um, yeah, and then obviously, you know, when Heath Ledger died, got very caught up in that. Right. And was very much convinced that the movie couldn't take me after that happened. Because it was right. like, well, how can you possibly go and watch this movie knowing what you know about the production, knowing yeah. what you know about the actor and his untimely death and all right. this stuff? How can you possibly get swept up by this? And of course, like within... Ten, and, and there was a real vibe. I remember it very distinctly because it was a full house at the George Street Cinemas. And it wasn't so much the opening scene. It was the pencil trick and that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. His second appearance in the film. You could feel it in the room. Everyone was like, what the fuck are we oh, witnessing yeah. here? Yeah. And all the gossip and the scuttlebutt about his life and how he died yeah. and everything just was gone. Yeah. And we were watching this incredible performance. That first, in in one of the trailers, uh, they showed you this first kind of shot of him and it's and it's the point in the movie where he's baiting the cop into attacking him in the interrogation oh, yeah, yeah, room. Yeah. And it's just right at the end when he, he puts his head down yeah. and he looks up with his eyes and he's just said, do you want to know which of your friends Prince were cowards? cowards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that look. And I remember seeing that in the trailer and going, what the fuck is happening yeah, with this yeah, movie? Yeah. You know, the other thing is... Watching the truck flip mm. in the trailer, mm. I was convinced that must be part of the finale, and no. and I was, oh, you weren't? No, no, no I'm oh, just saying right, so. yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh, that must be a part of the finale, and I guess what will happen is he'll catch the Joker, and something will happen to Harvey Dent at the end, and that'll set up the third movie. Right. And when when the truck flipped, you know, halfway through the film, and then. He turned into heart like Two Face. I was like, I legitimately had no idea how the movie was going to play out. It, yeah. it totally upended any preconceptions of how this might turn. Yeah, and it was fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think part of um, some people's disappointment with the Dark Knight Rises, and we'll kind of cover this a bit later, is that, and it's and it's this way with all third parts of stories that have to finish the tale. Mm. There's only so many options yeah, because it's an ending. Yeah. So the, you can't have as broad as a choice of where you can take the story yeah. because it's an ending. So therefore, it can only go to half a dozen spots. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so then people go, oh, well, that's, uh, well, that's a little bit disappointing. But what you have to do is you have to connect with it in different ways. You have yeah. to, like, of course, he's going to make the leap in The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. But you, you can't... You can't be invested in uh, thinking, is he going to make the leap? You have to uh, enjoy it by thinking. What- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What does that leap mean? Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And also kind of shed a lot of your own expectations and how, you know, you would have ended it. Because, you yeah. know, that was my first experience with Rises was, you know, I had a very clear idea in my head of what it was going to be. Oh, yeah. And it was not that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but I definitely walked out feeling like, well, yeah. Of course, you'd, as you would with anything that you're hugely invested in and yeah. you've come to the ending of it, you know. Um, I read I read the I comic. Think up- to, I think you have to clear your head. You have you, to, you, yeah, You yeah, know, yeah. when you're watching something and because you do have those ideas of where you would take it and it's almost like you have to... Just forget everything. Totally. And, and let it play. When remember what the story... Like, um, uh, We've talked about it before, the comic 100 Bullets. Yeah. Uh, I read that over a 10-year span, yeah. month to month. Yeah. And so, you know, had literally years to obsess over tiny little plot points right. and go, oh, that's going to be really... That's all going to come full circle at the end. And a lot of stuff doesn't. Yeah. Or it does in ways that you don't suspect. Yeah. And I remember getting to the end... And how could it not be anticlimactic after 10 years? Yeah. Finally getting issue 100. And I, I still remember it, like locking myself in a room and like just relishing each page and then getting to the end of being like, uh oh. Right. Oh. Right. That's how it ends? Yeah. Oh. Because, you know, the, the, the legend of 100 Bullets is, you know, he knew how it was going to end 10 years ago. Right. He was always working towards this ending. Yeah. But on subsequent rereads, it's like, oh, no, no, the ending actually perfectly works with all yeah. the themes and everything. You just had to get out of your own way and expecting, you know, this and this and this was going to happen. Twin Peaks season three was very much like that as well. Oh, yeah. yeah the last episode of that. Yeah. You know, and I remember getting towards the last 20 minutes of that and just getting having a panic attack of like, oh. they're not going to fucking wrap up anything. Why are they driving for five minutes? <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> It's so true. I had a little panic yeah. attack as well. Yeah, they're not going to say what happened to fucking Audrey. I got so confused. Like, I had such a beautiful roller coaster ride with that series, which I, in the end, loved. Yeah, But, of you know, like, half, like, two episodes in, I was like, Twin Peaks is back. Mm. Maybe even four, because they did, they did, they One, released yeah. two a week for the first two weeks. Yeah. So, the first two weeks in, so four apps, I was like, this is back, this is mm. great. Around episode six or seven, I didn't know anyone else who was watching it at the time, and I honestly was thinking, "Is this good? Like maybe so this isn't good. good. I don't so know if it's good. good." And then episode eight happened, and I realised that was the key to me realising I was watching it incorrectly, yes. and I was watching it with the expectations of what I wanted it to be rather than what David Lynch wanted to present to me. Yep. And you know, for a while there, it's like, how long is fucking Dale Cooper going to be Dougie? So good. Like, how fucking long is this going to be? <laughs> and then when Dougie finally left, I was like, oh, oh Dougie. Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dougie. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, we all went into that series, you know, wanting cherry pie and coffee yeah. and, you know, where are all these characters? Whereas the entire, I, I think one of the major themes of that season three is you can't go back. Yeah. And noth- nothing is gonna be the way you think it's gonna yeah. be because everyone's fucking old or has cancer or they're dead or yeah. you know or, or you're insane yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know um, you know there were whole plot lines in that that you were fully invested in that just never yeah. got wrapped up they just got dropped halfway through which yeah. is incredibly frustrating if you're watching it as a normal narrative TV show but if right. you're watching it as you know, you know, a piece it, of art that's trying to make a statement about something well yeah that's I mean it all fits in perfectly it's yeah it's beautiful. like that. It's, it, it's like this is the 
TV series The Town Dreamed About Itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nightmare of the Town. Uh, wh- one of the things I en- uh, enjoyed rewatching in uh, The Dark Knight, which kind of uh, fits in with what we were just talking about, is, uh, you know, the a lot of the rooms uh, got really high ceilings and mm. they're really long. It gives us mm. an impressionistic feel. And I wonder, does this help remind us that we're not in the real world, but instead in a world where people can believe urban myths like that there really is a Batman, you know? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's always just a little reminder that this isn't 100% real. Yeah, and you have to have those, you know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot with the Batman Begins uh, conversation, you know, this idea of the realism of the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. But, you know, if you're actually applying real realism to this, I mean, the whole story will fall apart within 10 yeah, minutes. Like, He's, there's a nut in a bat suit. Arrest the guy. He's a fucking vigilante. Yeah, no arrest that he's making a legitimate because he's yeah. got, you know, it's extrajudicial powers or he's beating the shit out of people, yeah. driving tanks on roofs. Like, the oh. army would be called out. Like, it, you can't apply any kind of real-world logic to yeah. it, really. Yeah, it's insane to Yeah, it's insane to it's, it's, it's got a... It's. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> Nolan's pushed back at that in in his very English polite way, where he said, "No, no, the movies aren't realistic. They have a cinematic re- reality, yes. and that that makes sense in the context of that world." Yeah. But you know, like I was thinking, how mm-hmm. much damage does he do to Gotham in of protecting course. Gotham? Of course. Oh, it's so full on. Of course. And all this like, I don't kill anyone, really? Because you just fucking nailed that guy in the face and he landed on his neck. So uh, he, if he's <laughs> yeah. not dead, he's probably crippled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, ne- I never take a life, but I'm willing to put someone on a heart bum machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you know you didn't take a life? You yeah. know, fucking someone hits the pavement real hard on their head. Like, yeah. they, you might kill them. Yeah. And he doesn't fire a gun, but he fucking shoots bullets out of the... Out of, out of the fucking car. Yeah. He's taken uh, hairpin corners in that car. Who knows if there's some kid oh standing on the street. God. Like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you you got to enjoy you got to enjoy the movies for what they are and not try and think, oh, yeah, no, I really like... Oh, those uh, Marvel movies are bullshit. Like, Superman, that's that's not real. But Batman, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's real. He's, he's real. real. Like, when he's chasing Joker's uh, van and he's blowing up all those cars, are there people in those cars when they're pirouetting out and explosions? You see those kids pretending to have guns. Like, yeah. it, like they're not far away from being taken out. Totally. What are you doing, Bruce? <laughs> do you, by the way, do you prefer a, a Batman story where he is an urban myth? Like I, uh, I, I yeah, I, I think so. I, I always, I like the idea that not everyone in Gotham is a hundred percent certain. Yeah, that I, that's real. Yeah, I always like the the notion that uh, people believe the cops of just turning on the bat signal to freak people out. Yeah, well, that's like. Jim Gordon at the start, yeah. he's like, you know, does he turn up? No, oh, but yeah. that means he's probably out there. It's just a good reminder. And, you know, you even see the, it's just such a small moment, but you see the guy's about to do a drug deal and he sees the bat signal. He's like, you got more chance of winning Powerball. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You know, that, I mean, for me, my favorite era of Batman is when it's set in kind of a pre digital world. Yes. And, you know, I mean that 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 for me, in terms of just believing the realism of that world, not yeah. a real world realism, but the yeah. realism of the world is, you know, my brain just can't help deconstructing things when yeah. you set Batman past a certain point in history. Yeah, like if Batman couldn't operate in twenty twenty when everyone's got camera phones and all yeah. the rest. Like it's just it's. And then you, uh, the, you in the comics they've started kind of giving him, you know, like a 
a lightweight armor. And yeah, he's got like almost an Iron Man type thing happening now with yeah. like a um, uh, uh, what's that thing called where you uh, augmented reality yeah. in, his, in his eyepiece and stuff. Yeah, and, like, ah. and I, you know, I, I think I really like uh, superheroes when they just wear latex and totally. and, and, it, and it suits them. Totally, <laughs> I understand in cinema because movies are closer to the real world than the drawn page that. It looks ridiculous, so you have to have some sort of explanation mm, for that. Mm, mm, mm. But in the comics, it, it always frustrates me when they started drawing Cap with a helmet. It's like, that, no, in that world, the physics are... Yeah, put on some latex, yeah. it looks great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so once again, uh, you know, as we were saying, the, uh, the movie has a cinematic reality mm-hmm. uh, and not a real-life reality. But that said, there's a real-life inner story that revolves around the characters which kind of makes them relatable on some level. Is this then really a story about how obsession can ruin a person if they don't know how to look beyond themselves? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge theme of the entire trilogy, really. Yeah. Especially by the time you get to the third one when his body is completely crippled and he's, you know, he's just fucked up. And it's like, you know, it's hard to even chart was it worth it? <laughs> like, did, yeah. you, did you even really achieve that much? Yeah. You know? Uh, and, you know, one of my favourite kind of um, uh, oxymorons of the whole Batman story is like, you know, you started out on this mission to stop burglars killing people like, yeah. like well, to my mummy and daddy. Yeah. And in the end, creates this entire new genre of crime that is... A, would not have existed without Batman first showing up on the scene. Like, it's arguable that the Joker... I mean, maybe the Joker would have existed in some form. Probably wouldn't have been running around dressed up as a clown uh, if Batman wasn't jumping around the rooftops. So it becomes this thing of, like, you know, you've started this cycle going and now you can't really quit because you're the only person that's fit to fight these, you know... Well. These things that your obsession has created. Well, that's definitely the second movie. At least in the first and the third film, The League of Shadows, we're always going to destroy Gotham. That's true. I didn't, yeah. It's true. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely in this one. Yeah. This is, it's it's interesting, isn't it? So Bruce Wayne has an obsession to wipe out crime, but it kind of comes from a bad place. Like it comes yeah. from the guilt he has over his parents dying. And I wonder, is the most telling line in this movie for Bruce's story, the part where he tells Alfred that criminals aren't that difficult to understand. Is this a reflection of the fact that he sort of still sees the world in a childlike way? Totally. Yeah. It's completely, you know, it's a completely... I mean, and and that's the thing, again, why you can't apply too much real-world logic to it. Yeah. Because it is the actions of a traumatised child in an adult's body. Yeah. You know... He's a billionaire. I'm sure there's plenty of ways you can make the city a safer, better place with your money and your political influence as opposed to running around dressed up as a bat. Like, it's it's nuts. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's that's another reason that the Batman myth doesn't work so much, for me anyway, in our current world. Yeah. Because the world is increasingly not black and white. Yeah. It's grey. Yeah. It's very complicated. And, um, you know, a guy, a billionaire running around bashing up jewel thieves and protecting the 1% oh, yeah. is, is, you know, it's it, it's a strange myth for our times. And it, I, I, I'll be interested to see how it actually evolves going forward to fit in with our current political climate and social climate and all the rest. Yeah, you know, it's interesting... Uh 
I, you, you kind of look at these, you look at Batman, and specifically I was actually thinking this more with uh, the character of Daredevil. Mm. I, w- I almost wish if they were to, you know, now that Marvel has the um, rights to those characters again, putting Luke Cage and Daredevil and Iron Fist and all of those, put them in the 70s. Yeah. And, and do, do a whole lot of crime Yep. Untouchables kind of yeah, style stories in the seventies, yep. yep. and then that that way you would have a that would just be interesting because now you would have this whole other Marvel cinematic storyline yep. that doesn't have to cross over with anything. It's almost like you could have yeah. this, you could have this other storyline with movies going, and then mm. then you'd have what's going on in the current day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it would just mean you wouldn't have all of that surveillance stuff, and it would just make it a little bit easier to buy when you're. Uh, watching it and it would be fun to see Batman in that uh, place I, th- I think there's uh, w- one of the things about re-watching this film and trying to find new things to talk about is there's not really a, you, you kind of underestimate that there's not wasted dialogue and that, that moment mm. of when Alfred says you know maybe you don't understand this man and, and that is part of the yeah. you know it, it, it's, it's almost like Batman and the Joker have the same dance obsession with each other that Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale had in The Prestige. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of rotating around each other, trying to understand how the other one thinks, trying mm. to prove points yeah. constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, my, I think my favourite line in the whole movie is the when, you know, that monologue that the Joker does where he's like, kill you? What do you mean? I don't yeah. want to kill you. Yeah, you complete me. You complete me. Yeah. You know, and it was like, you know... I mean, I'm not a huge Joker fan, uh, but, you know, for what I do like about the character in in certain depictions in comics over the years, I feel like they brought all the best parts of that into this this version of the character. And that's always been the most interesting part of him, that this, you know, yin-yang death spiral that they're both stuck in with each other. And, you know, I think there's even a comic I read a long time ago where it was like, you know, uh, they, they got into the whole thing of, you know, why doesn't Batman kill the Joker? Or at least why right. doesn't he just let him fucking die? Right. Like, you know, he's fallen off a cliff. You don't have to save him. Uh, and it kind of gets into the psychology of Batman where he's kind of in line with the Joker's thing of like, yeah, but if he dies, like, who am I without right. this guy? Right, And as much as I hate him, as much as he's a serial killing menace, because, you know, there's no reason not to take him out. He's... Kills right. thousands of people. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Like the body count is yeah, it's phenomenal. Heinous. And you know, like, like he's killed a robin for fuck's sake. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like. Uh, but it's interesting. It's like I always like the idea that Bruce Wayne catch or Batman catching him at the end of this is like he he still needs he still needs to prove a point. Like he needs to prove a point that I can get you and I'm going to catch you and you're going to pay for your crimes. I can't let you. Yeah. You know, like the Joker is laughing all the way down. Like yeah. he's like he has finally won. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, then yeah, he's, yeah. and he's just kind of bemused when he's pulled back. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, I, I think people forget that there's real interesting subtleties to the performance as well. It's not all over the top. There's that, that great moment where someone calls him crazy in that. Not when, and he's yeah, not and he's and it's so it's yeah. really soft the way he says it but yeah. it's like it's feels like it's the only time that he actually gets offended he's like a hurt movie. child yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
keeping with the obsession theme, Harvey Dent is obsessed with justice and has an old-fashioned sense of masculinity Mm -hmm. that Aaron Eckhart does a great job with. So, you know, he's tough in the courtroom, but he can't have a conversation with someone at a party. He claims he makes his own luck, but he's cheating other people and himself with that belief. Mm. When he flips the coin to Rachel, is that the moment that represents his luck has run out because he was never really in charge of his luck in the first place? You mean when he flips the coin when he's before getting, he gets into the van? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know. what. Like, Have you ever known anyone or have you ever been that kind of person that you know flips the coin or rolls the dice to make a decision? No. Yeah, neither have I. No. And I know two people in my life that they just surrender everything to chance. Right. You know, down to like, oh, no, I can't decide if I want a Coke or a Fanta. I'll flip a coin. It's like, really? Like, are you that right. kind of surrendered to fate or chance or whatever it is? Yeah, just um, like, have a Coke, mate. Yeah, just fucking do what you want. What you're, you, what, you're do a do grown what your heart up. wants you to do. Yeah. Fanta's for kids. <laughs> <laughs> Fanta's for Nazis. Come on. Um, <laughs> historical fact. Um, yes. uh, yeah, no, I think... Um, yeah, it's interesting because it, Harvey has this, as you said, this very kind of like uh, adherence to old school masculinity. Yeah. But the flipping of the coin is kind of a betrayal of that ideology almost well, and, but he also knows like yeah. he's always making like when you think about it he he really did coerce Rachel into a date <laughs> by flipping a coin and <laughs> knowing full well that it was going to turn up because it's yeah double sided yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like but it's, uh, it's interesting it's kind of a creepy line right I make my own luck yeah it's like uh, no you don't you're awful um, is uh, it's I wonder, is the descent of Harvey Dent a comment on old-fashioned masculinity no longer working in the world? Because he, he spars with Bruce Wayne, he tells the mayor and the commissioner how it's going to play out. Yet deep down, he wants to be the hero. Like, he's, mm. he's fine with being the hero. And what's interesting is Bruce has no interest in being known for his good deeds. Mm. And I wonder if that's also a part of Dent's uh, downfall, the, the willingness and wanting to be... The God. hero, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, ma- maybe it, maybe it's more about the kind of um, the fact that he's deceiving himself, yeah. you know? Because uh, does he even really is he even really aware that he wants to be the hero, or is he so right. kind of um, fooling himself about his integrity and justice and all the rest, and not yeah. realizing that it's very intrinsically tied in with his own sense of self and his ego? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of self deception going on with him, hence. Two Face, yeah. Um, Interesting know. Uh, the the politics of it in 2020 as well, where you know there's been a lot of uh, reevaluation of how cops are depicted in mm. TV and movies uh, through their actions in America at the yep. moment. And in this, he, you know, like Gordon says, you know, you were coming in and putting my men behind, and he's saying, but your men are corrupt, yep. and it's and he's right. He's right in this movie. Yeah. The men are corrupt. Yeah. And it's it's kind of politically astute for 2020. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also just, um, you know, I think it also is astute about just the general chaos that we're all living in yeah. now. Yeah. You know, and the unpredictability. And, you know, like, sure, there's not a maniac dressed up as a clown running around, but there are these forces, you know, that aren't, that have don't seem to have a direction and just yeah. seem to be agents of chaos. You know, yeah. COVID... Uh, Trump, like uh, all yeah, these things yeah. that you know. Um, I, I think that lie, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn has never been more apt. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this with someone the other night. They were talking about 
you know, Bush and Cheney uh, compared to Trump and Pence. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of joking around going, oh, you know, wasn't it quaint when the world was run by two war criminals? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that nice (laughs) compared to what's happening now? And obviously we're being trite, like they're awful people. Yeah. But I, at the very least, when you, I mean, maybe not so, so much Bush, but when you look at Cheney, it's like, well, at least you had some ideology. Like, right. at least you had you some had, mission and, statement. Yeah, an ideology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, an, it's an, it's a foul ideology. It's yes. putrid. It led to a, a war and death and destruction. But as a human being, you can at least look at it and go, oh, I see a path of logic. Yeah. It's, not a, it's, it's a foul path of logic, but yeah. I see a path of logic. Whereas you look at, Trump and Pence and it's just like oh you just uh, like there is no there is no ideology other than just fattening the hog yeah just whatever is good for you right now and fuck everyone else it's uh, it's diabolical you can imagine that like if we were told that Trump was flipping a coin to make his decisions you'd almost be mildly relieved oh totally at least there's a 50 50 fucking shot yeah totally yeah yeah yeah. but it's just the whims of of an insane person yeah It's, it's terrifying the it's interesting the once again you know batman begins uh you know had the air of terrorism and then this builds on that and it's in it's once again it's a it's a form of terrorism but you also have and this is why i think these movies are kind of perfect post september 11 yep. blockbusters yeah this movie is so much about surveillance as well mm. and how far are you allowed to go with that to protect people? And in many ways, the decisions, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but the decisions made by the characters in this, I think sets them up beautifully for the third one because they, right. they do get victories, but it's it, they, they've compromised their yep. ethics and their souls to do yep. so. Yep. And I, I think that's also not as sexy a storyline for the Dark Knight Rides as for the general populace. Like, Going to see The Dark Knight and sitting there and going, oh, terrorism and surveillance, yeah, fuck, what do you do? Uh, yeah, I think about that as well. And then the third one is, well, we won, but now we've taken our eye off what's going on and we don't know what's bubbling underneath yeah. and we had to compromise to get this win and I don't think people really want to think about that. Yep. They just want to win. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh one more person to speak about with obsession and it's it is obsession the joker's downfall because his need to prove batman wrong ends up being his undoing because he could have just set all of that stuff up and not been waiting at the top of the building like he could have been anywhere <laughs> so it's like his obsession like he becomes obsessed yeah with batman. proving the point uh, yeah and uh, well, he is obsessed with yeah, batman yeah, that's yeah. why he's there yeah, doing all of yeah, this stuff yeah, yeah. and so then it, it hilariously ends up being the reason he loses. I would argue that he doesn't necessarily lose or that he that he doesn't experience a downfall. Only be, well only because yeah. well he gets caught. He gets caught and his plan doesn't work. Yeah. But he successfully pulls off, you know, the Harvey Dent part of his plan. Yes. And I think he achieves his main goal which is the main goal of every iteration of the Joker, which is basically just to worm his way into Bruce's head and fuck with Bruce's head. The fact that he's laughing 
in the in the final moment that you see him yeah to me screams something of victory yeah like it's not total defeat no like he's 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 won in the sense that and also he's won in the sense that he might not know it but he's won in the sense that Bruce did compromise his values in doing that massive surveillance thing to find him yeah so um, well he wouldn't know what he's done but he he just knows he knows that he's fucked with this guy's head yeah. in a big way yeah uh, I was going to ask this question a little bit later, but since we're here, what 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 do you think would have happened if Heath Ledger hadn't died? I think about this all the time. It's um, it's, it's hard to not think about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I um, yeah, I I often wonder if the third movie would have gone in a completely different direction, um, had Heath not died. Yeah, uh, I don't think that the Joker would have been the main villain of the third film. No, it but... still probably would have been Bane. Yeah, because I think I feel like like I wonder like Bane for this trilogy is perfect. Mm. And oh, so anyway, we'll talk about this more in the next one. But mm. uh, I, I've drawn a blank on her last name. But Sarah in the UK, who uh, wrote to me on Twitter, mm. wrote to Will Anderson and I and mm. said. And this will get back to what we were talking about. Right. She wrote to me and said, um, after hearing Will Anderson and Justin Hamilton bang on about the Dark Knight trilogy, I finally watched it. And it was really good. And I was like so wrapped that <laughs> she still enjoyed it because I thought <laughs> I could have understood if she'd watched it and said, yeah, you guys ruined it. Just and I would have said, the oh, fuck out. Fuck, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but anyway, she wrote to me and she said, and I'd never thought of this before. And I was, I'm a big fan in, always finding out something new about something that you love. Because yeah, you don't want to be... Yeah. You don't want to know everything. Of course. I'm wrapped when someone tells me something about Bowie or I hear a song I haven't heard or I'm like, oh, there's something new. Yeah. And she said, Bane is fascinating because he can't live without his mask. Mm. And that's what Bruce is fighting against in The Dark Knight Rises. Right. And I was like... Oh, yeah, that it's is, great. Yeah, it's so good, right? Yeah, really good. Like, I've... I've never been happier than that I've taught someone into <laughs> watching the Dark Knight. Just like, to get that she, bit of juice. Oh in. man, she re, she repaid like I like I I you can see how big my apartment is. I did like seven figure eights with excitement. <laughs> I just was uh, I was like yes. <laughs> but um, so uh, so I bring that up, and we'll we'll discuss that more with the with yep. the uh, podcast about the Dark Knight Rises, but. Getting back to where the third film could have gone if the Joker was still alive, I think Bane, therefore, was probably always going to be a perfect villain for mm. uh, the next film. And I wonder, I I wonder if we would have seen the Joker and Batman maybe having the team up. Oh, really? Like you know, in like not in a yeah. traditional way, yeah, but. Like you couldn't. So when they break everyone out of Arkham, then the Joker just like now he's doing what he does, but doing it to Bane and the henchmen. See, I always what I always imagined because I never bought when I saw the Dark Knight that Harvey dies at the end because it was like oh, he's fallen like three feet, well, as if he's dead. Well, hang on a sec. Like he has had half his face blown off, and mm. he has been in a car crash because he's fucking shot the. That's true. That's true. <laughs> He's taken a beating. But in that moment, I, I imagined... So the way I imagined the third one would roll out was 
Harvey's not dead. Oh. And what they've actually done is bury him in the deepest cell in Arkham. Oh, and yes. And he is still a card that's in the deck. Yes. And then Bane blows him out of Arkham, which then undoes the whole lie that they've told. Right. Uh, that's how I always... I just completely... I was convinced that Two-Face would be in the third movie. Right. Uh, and then it would be more about... Um, and we've discussed this before, but it would be the third movie would be more about the final elimination of the mob and the installing of the quote-unquote freaks, the Penguin, the Riddler, okay. you know, all right. of, and that, that they would all come into the third movie. That's what I imagined. Well, so where um, does the Joker fit into that? Well, that, that he would be fostering all of that as well. That, right. you know, he'd come out as well and, you know, yeah. kind of, you know, hey, we need to, you know, finally, this is our town now, forget those old school monsters, right. you know, they're running, you know, similar themes to what's in The Dark Knight where he's like, you know, this town deserves a better class of criminal. Yeah, is, um, he, is he maybe the judge where the Scarecrow... Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. And then that gets a bigger storyline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a great pairing of Two Face and the Joker in the sequel to the Long Halloween, um, Dark Victory. Right. Where they kind of they're very adversarial, but they're you know they've got a similar mission in mind, right. which is to you know replace the crime syndicates of Gotham with themselves. Right. Uh, and that's that's the path I saw it taking. Right. Which is, which is part of my disappointment the first time I saw the third movie because, again, it wasn't what I imagined it was going to be. So uh, can I tell you... Uh, I was going to save this for the third one, but I'm, I'm a, because there's just so much going on, I'm scared that I've, I've written notes everywhere. <laughs> but I, I the, the best dream I have ever had was... I dreamt I saw the third movie before the third movie so had come good. out. Great. And it was set during a heat wave. So I knew that there was having to be something, you know, going on colour-wise. So yeah. I saw it. It was very saturated with, yeah. like, yellows and heat. Oh, right. And so, and, this, and the town would be, like, Gotham would be, you know, you'd, you'd be having strikes. So there'd be garbage everywhere uh-huh, and all that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I had the idea that it would be a serial killer. Oh, I was watching it, sorry, and it was a serial killer who was writing riddles. So oh, who got nicknamed good. the Riddler mm. and it was more like a uh it was more like a silence of the lambs and ah, he would fantastic. have to use it was like he was using the Joker like a Hannibal Lecter That's great. to get into the mind of the Riddler and it finished with a, a thunderstorm taking down the Riddler. Ah, that's great. And I wake up and I was the happiest I've ever been. And then I saw The Dark Knight Rises and I was still happy. Anyway, I love it all. Um, is um, is the descent of uh, Harvey Dent a comment on old-fashioned masculinity? We've talked about that. Uh, the Joker's downfall uh, is his obsession. So in Batman Begins, the villains reflect Bruce Wayne. So Scarecrow uses fear... Uh, Ra's al Ghul uses personal loss to, you know, justify an existential war yep. on terrorism, yep. uh, on crime. Yep. Uh, how does the Joker reflect Batman? We do see... Well, one, one of the things that is interesting that I'd never really put two and two together before is they do both inspire men to dress up in costumes and go out and do stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, uh, I think they reflect each other in negative, in that, you know, very classic yin-yang, chaos yep. versus order... You know, um, but also I think that the Joker reflects Bruce's insanity. Right. Uh, and I know that's not a huge thing that's played up in this trilogy. It does. I think there is an undercurrent of it, 
But, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about the Batman character is that he is as insane as all of the people that he's bringing in. He's just made a different choice uh, to not rob banks and kill people. Right. But he's not any different from them. He's got his wacky name. He's got his wacky costume. Well, Harvey, Harvey, (laughs) ask Alfred, you know, are there any insane ex-boyfriends I should know about? and. You have no idea. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think one of the main, one of the one of the really interesting things uh, with that relationship, you know, it, when, when it's done in its best depictions, is that kind of you know, oh, for the grace of God, go I kind yep. of thought, you know, of like, you know, and maybe Bruce realizes that if he wasn't as rigid and structured and held together as he is, he could become that guy. Yeah. Um. Just you know, like, what's 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 the? Is there really that much difference between them? Yeah, you know, in terms of their life choices. <laughs> well, you know, that's well, that's what he keeps saying. You know, you have your little rules, yeah, and I'm gonna show you how this doesn't work. And I love, you know, I love that moment. Uh, once again, Christian Bale totally underrated mm-hmm. the the fury that's coming out of him when he's pounding on the Joker, and mm. uh, the Joker's just laughing, saying, "Look, you can't do anything. Like yeah. you actually have no power over me." Yeah, yeah, so yeah. good. How does Harvey reflect Bruce? Is that, um, is that where Bruce could have gone? Yeah, I think it's where he could have gone, but I think he also reflects him in the sense that he's also willing to break the rules. Mm. Um, so Harvey, and also Harvey has something of a secret identity. Yeah. He's got the face that he, you know, puts out at all the fundraisers and the dinners, and yeah. then you see a very different side of him when he drags that guy away and oh, yeah. he's holding the gun to his head and flipping coins and all the rest. Like, you're yeah. a fucking maniac. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it, was, it had a very similar vibe to that whole um, swear to me scene in yeah. the, uh, the first film. Yeah. Um, this kind of like, oh, you're willing to go there. You're willing to try and scare the shit out of a person or, you know, to get what the information that you need. Um, so, yeah, but... No, and Bruce does f- discover that side of him. Yeah. Because he comes into the time, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's the reflection. You know, A, what I could have been, but then B, oh, actually, much like the Joker, we're not that dissimilar. Yeah. Um, but it, once again, you know, he's, he kind of does prove himself uh, how many times, you know, like he... Bruce is on the precipice of both of their, uh, their, their worst aspects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he keeps get. It's like he's for this whole movie. He's on the precipice of both those sides, looking down and pulling back at the last second, kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, I think that it's also questionable if he like does pull back. I mean, he travels to China, right? Blows a fucking skyscraper window out, kidnaps a guy, and yeah. then brings him back. Like that's, oh, that's full on extrajudicial bounty hunting. Oh like, yeah. It's it's highly highly legal and, yeah. and and kind of fucked. Yeah, you know I know the guys a master criminal and laundering money and stuff, but you know like. By the way, is that one of the most underrated action scenes in a movie? It's like, fantastic. He, like he literally flies down, mm. does a forward roll through a window that he's exploded, and leaps up and punches a guy. Yeah, like I just feel That's like, great. <laughs> like why why aren't we talking about that scene all the time? <laughs> uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he does. Well, it's it's like, I guess Harvey Dent represents to Bruce. We both go to these extremes, and if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll, you know, slip into insanity like he has. Yep. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers originally wanted the movie to give us the Joker's origin. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness they <laughs> thank didn't. Thank God. Uh, like it's an inspired move to yeah. never give us an origin. 
having said that, do you have a theory on who he was or why he's there, or do you just kind no, of? No, I don't even. I don't even think about it. I think of him as like you know, it's like the boogeyman or the yeah. And and you know, we've talked about this a lot in other films, and 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 you know, it's very trendy these days to be like, oh. Willy Wonka likes chocolate because his daddy was a dentist. Like, oh, that m- makes perfect sense now. And it's like, you know, he just likes chocolate. No, he just likes chocolate. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know why he likes chocolate. He yeah. just likes chocolate. Yeah. And it's the same with the Joker. I don't need, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like that classic thing in Jaws or other great monster movies. Like, the more you know, the less yeah. terrifying it is. Yeah. If I know that he was a guy and, oh, it turns out that his dad did abuse him and yeah. that's why he's all broken. It's like, ah... Uh, I don't actually want to feel sympathetic or relate to this character. He's a force of nature. Yeah. Same way I can't get to know a fucking tornado. I don't want to get yeah. to know this character. Like, yeah. I just want to be blown away by it. Yeah, like you weren't sitting there in Jaws going, what's the shark's motivation? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Why is the shark so aggressive? Man. Like, it's just a, it's, it's, it, the shark is a metaphor. Mate, get, a, <laughs> get some anger management <laughs> therapy, sharky. I mean, I think, I think for us as well... Um, I mean, we'll probably get to this with the Inception conversation, but I think having grown up and reading a lot of comics, mm. uh, I think we're kind of used to not needing explanations for stuff and, yeah. and, and things, realising that things can be representational rather than yeah. literal yeah. and they're being very comfortable with that. It's okay. Yeah. You know, the Joker doesn't need to be a fully rounded character. Oh, <laughs> I don't give a shit. And those stories are always <laughs> boring. I like a... In Grant Morrison's run where he said, uh, you know how he decided rather than he's insane, he's he's got that super insanity. Super insanity, yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is, yeah. Uh, you know, and he just kind of changed it. Like, he, he treated him like he was David Bowie. And he, yeah. tra- he goes with the times. And yeah. in, the, in his run, he's in his thin white duke phase where he's yeah. all ripped and that. And, he, and then when Batman and Robin were kind of having fun, he just decided, well, I'll just be goofy. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, totally. You know what? Things are getting darker, so I'm gonna fucking get darker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What, what, what is it? It's uh, pop crime. Yeah, uh, the, the you feel like the reason the Joker can smell a liar is because he's a liar. He says he doesn't make plans, but he has heaps of them. Of course, he has heaps of plans. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then when he tells Harvey to shoot him, he's got his thumb on the hammer. Like, he's not going to let... <laughs> Does he? Yeah, you look closely. He's not going to let him shoot Oh, him. that's great. I didn't even realise that. That's fantastic. <laughs> what, do, you, do you think there's an ultimate goal for the Joker in the end? Or does he just kind of have small plans? Like, it's like, I'm going to... I'm going to get all the mob's money. Now I'm going to burn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think now it's I'm that. Do- yeah. Yeah, I think it's that. I think he's 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 only ever a couple of steps ahead of himself at any time. It's yeah. like, oh, let's just get to this goal and then yeah. I'll figure out what I'll do after that. And Probably has a bit of ADHD. Where yeah, definitely. Where he's like, yeah. oh, I had all these, like I, I planned three years of this and it's like, ah, oh, I'm bored with that. I'm going to go over yeah. and. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, now, now I own dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, uh, actually, a fourth person to throw in about obsession as well is Gordon, who's obsessed with defeating the mob, and his decisions in the movie have massive repercussions for him in the third film, mm-hmm. when his family leave him alone in Gotham. It, it, do you feel like Gordon has a really interesting three-part movie arc that is easily missed for for a lot of people yeah of course but yeah. because he's not the sexiest character in the trilogy yeah uh and i think he's it's easy to dismiss him as just a you know side tangential character 
like Lucius or Alfred. Yeah. But he does have a distinct arc, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Gary Oldman is... So it's so perfect seeing him just play a good guy. Yeah. Because we've seen him play so many yep. broken characters yep. over the years. It yep. means it, it's like, you know, the the genius of the Misery movie. Mm. Like Kathy Bates is, of course, phenomenal. Mm. But the genius, and, and James Cagney said this was... Like, he's a guy with all this frenetic energy and he's stuck in a bed. Yeah. And so he's just oozing this yeah. energy because that's that's what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely. so that's I think that's what makes Gary Oldman's portrayal of Gordon so fascinating because he's really repressed and he is a good guy, but you can still feel the Oldman energy Oh, totally. Bubbling just underneath the skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the character's willing to do uh, dubious things. You know, fake, yeah. not telling his wife that he's going to fake his own death. Oh. It's a bit of a fucking dick move. Oh, like, I know you need to protect her, <laughs> but Jesus Christ. Um, while the three movies have their individual sense of scale, I think when you watch the trilogy, it is a story of two halves. So at the right. beginning of this movie, oh, yes. Bruce, Alfred, Gordon, and Lucius, like... They're having a great time. Yep. Like, they are nailing it. They're taking down the mob. Mm-hmm. Lucius is fucking cracking jokes. Oh, I need a new suit. Yep, that is a little bit, you know, 2018 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Alfred's being really funny. Like, even Bruce Lee. Oh, God, I got cut up. I'll just sew myself yeah, up. on a lark. You know, yeah. Gordon's Gordon's got that smirk on his face. Like, yeah. when Lau comes back. Mm. And then... When Rachel dies, and I looked at this, this is like the 95-minute mark, and I worked out it is roughly halfway right in the middle of the trilogy. Yeah. And this sends the story in a different direction. And what lesson do these characters learn, and how does it weigh upon them leading into the next well, They're film? not playing fucking silly games. Yeah. You know, I think they're boys with their toys before that, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, this actually does have real-world consequences. Yeah. And we're dragging all of our fucking loved ones and our lives into this ridiculous yeah. thing, which when you go back to it is just a broken man acting like a little boy. And all right. of a sudden, oh, whoops, the woman I love just got blown to fucking bits. Yeah. And maybe that would never have happened had I not decided to dress up in a Halloween costume and run right. around in a tank. It's well, ridiculous. Well, even, <laughs> even up until, once again, underrated uh, amounts of comedy all the way through these mm. movies. And... Uh, when, when Bruce is getting ready, you know, they've, they've burnt all the logbooks and they're going to turn themselves in. And, you know, even Alfred at that point, like, this is a low point. And mm. even Alfred's like, you know, uh, Bruce says, you know, you, you were going to say, I told you so. And, he, and then he sort of whispers to him, yeah, yeah, but I bloody well did. And then he's still making a bit of a joke. Mm. And then Bruce is saying, you know, Alfred's like, oh, I guess I'm going to be locked up. Like, he's going to be locked up as an accessory. And he's kind of saying, I guess I'm going to be locked up as an accessory. And Bruce is like cracking gags. I'm going to tell him it was all your idea. And you see, <laughs> you see as they're going up, you see the silhouette of Alfred like do a double take. And it, it, like great lines. Like, uh, yeah, this yeah. is not negative. But yeah. then once, once Rachel dies, this fucking movie yeah. trilogy is on. Yeah. And it's now, it's like, it's once again, it's operatic. And now, yeah. now things are leading towards tragedy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like that first half of the trilogy is like you know Bruce's proof of concept of this wacky idea that he's got, and yeah. then you know we deal with the uh, fallout for the latter half. Yeah, poor um, poor Rachel as well. Her last moment is mm. thinking Bruce chooses to save Harvey. Mm. That's her last moment. Yeah. Does uh, 
is it is it fair to say that the character gets short shrift in the movies? Uh, because in many ways, Rachel's the smartest character in the trilogy because mm. she sees everything correctly. Yep. Like yep. she's, you know, she calls Bruce out to Alfred for not standing up. She's tells Bruce that, you know, you're never going to be able to give up this obsession. You know, she's yeah. calling Harvey out for his reckless behaviour. And all of these men, uh, you know, contribute to her being, you know, Gordon not listening. Yeah. Uh, but does she, like, is it is it fair to say that this is a, a criticism that as, you know, essentially the only female character in the movie, she gets a bit of short shrift? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, if you were being really harsh, you could say it was that kind of, you know, fridging thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that she only really exists to motivate Bruce to do his next thing. Right. I, I, that, that's I feel like most... maybe that doesn't exist because we did... Like, I can understand that as a criticism. Oh, but I, 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 the worst possible yeah. interpretation. Yeah. But in the, um, in the first movie, she's his conscience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in the entire trilogy, uh, she's probably the only character that's completely morally pure. Yes. Uh, you know, Bruce would like to think he is, but you're not. You're doing majorly illegal things all the time. Yeah. Uh, whereas she's the only one that, you know, A, the conscience, and B, you know, her morality is completely unshakable yep. to the very end. Yep. And she dies with a sense of dignity as well. Yeah. You know, she doesn't go out kicking and screaming. She goes out with a, you know... <laughs> like for what it's worth, it's a it's it, it's a it's a modicum of acceptance. Oh yeah, you know yeah. it's okay. It's her last line. Oh it's okay. man, like Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance when that's yeah, great. When you said and hearing hearing Harvey Dent yelling, "Not me," mm. is yeah so full on. Yeah. Do Do you remember when you first saw that scene and yeah, just like, of course. what the <laughs> holy shit? The and then the <laughs> yeah, but also that. The, like I had, I did not see that the Joker was lying about mm. them being in. Like it was such a yeah. shock when he walks yeah. in. You go, oh my god! Yeah, and then maybe the best shot of the movie of uh, Joker in the car with his head out the window like a dog oh, and shaking his wet hair. Yeah. It's just fucking and it chilling. looks it looks terrifying. Oh, and it looks fucking smelly. Yeah, that <laughs> hair looks awful, doesn't it? Uh, it's a crazy ending with essentially the three heroes arguing. You know, yeah. it's, uh, and uh, the Joker proves his point by forcing the remain the remaining characters left alive to compromise to find a win. So, Batman covers up Dent's mistakes. Gordon lets Batman do this. Alfred burns the letter to save Bruce. All of these decisions come back to haunt them in the final movie. Should the characters have learned the lesson from the people on the ferries that to have faith in people is the ultimate strength and if you make decisions to hide the truth from them, then whatever victory you achieve is a hollow one at best and at worst will still come undone at some point. And once again, Rachel proving she's the smartest person in the series, in her letter she implores Bruce to not lose faith in people, mm. which he he forgets. Like, he, like yeah. he keeps the faith in the ferry, but if they had kept the faith in the people... Couldn't they have just said, this is what happened to Harvey? Yeah, of course. And people would have accepted it. Of course. And it would have been a proper victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a real infantilization of the public that comes from their decision. You know, yeah. oh, people, oh, people can't handle this. Yeah. And maybe they're right. I don't have a great faith in the masses. But, you know, uh, in the end, it turns out that they're proved wrong. Right, and, and you know it's a mm. it's a it's an unearned victory in the end, and it's it's probably they've they've all got to 
touch of the madness from dealing with the Joker and everything that's yeah, been yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it comes back to that thing of, you know, you compromise here, you compromise there, and all of a sudden, can you even recognize yourself? Yeah. Um, all right. Some fun questions just to finish this off. Uh, is the... Oh, yeah. I've already asked you about Batman flying through the window and attacking the gunman. Like, Jesus Christ. I was re-watching it and just went, why do I just not think about this every day? <laughs> How does the equipment work when they find the fingerprint on the bullet? Oh, f- movie magic. Yeah, I know. Man. It's so funny. <laughs> I was like, because I was, because I've always just accepted it. And so because I was looking at it, trying to find new things to talk about, I was sitting there going, how does that work? It's such <laughs> whenever, a- there's a tr- whenever there's a real logic question in any Batman story, the answer is always, yeah. he's Batman. Yeah. It's like a, um, it's, it's, it's a real... Uh, you know, you can see the influence of the James Bond movies yeah. in, in, in those moments. And also the, the Grant Morrison depiction of Batman in JLA. Yeah. You know, super, super James Bond. Yeah. You know, he can do things that no other hero can do. Yeah. And he's actually more powerful than any of them through his use of technology and detective work. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of the, like, the first issue of JLA where Superman's like, I didn't know you were there. Yeah. And Bruce is already going, ah, oh, that thing that uh, hides my heart. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. New it's gadget like, works. Geez. yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think happens in the movie if Bruce Wayne turns himself in at the press conference? Oh, he's he's arrested. Yeah. He's taken away and then the Joker fucking does a victory lap and blows up half the city. Right. And then, so that's what I thought. But then, so it makes for an interesting movie because yeah. then, does, do they let him out? Well, yeah, then it's probably, you know, like, uh, damn it, you're the only yeah. one that can take him out, Bruce. Yeah. That's Here's a costume. Yeah, that's a, you know. Anyway, that makes for an interesting Saddle film. Saddle up, Bruce. Like, you still get a Batman movie, but yeah, that, that makes for a really interesting uh, little diversion, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Bruce have sex with any of the women that he turns up with? Nah. Nah, I don't think he does Not either. at all. Yeah. Not at all. All, all that all that unspent cum is what drives him. Jesus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> imagine that. Imagine if he just had, like, sex once and then he was like, you know, I don't think I need to be Oh, Batman. man, my entire being's like an unclenched fist. I, didn't, I just needed to get laid. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with, with that question in mind, because I didn't think he had sex with any of these women either, what do you think the women think of Bruce Wayne? Do, oh. you, do, do you think there's maybe, like, you know, in certain circles there's a sense that, you know, people talk about him being gay or... Oh, I, I, mean? I always imagine that they're just like very well-paid escorts, right? And much like in the the scene in Memento, where it's like, oh, I just want you to comb your hair and slam a door and go to sleep, right? They probably just go home with him, and he's like, oh, I'm just gonna just watch you fucking undress or watch you make out or something, and just hides behind the kind of eccentric billionaire facade. Right. Of like, oh, he's into yeah, he's into some weird shit, huh? Yeah, and he then, doesn't want to focus. And while he's sitting there, supposedly looking, all he's thinking about is, oh man, I could just be pounding some fucking. Yeah, yeah, cream. he's just unfocusing his eyes yeah. and imagining kicking the shit out of homeless people. <laughs> so, so I've got a. Uh, oh, actually, I'll go to this question. What do you think the ballerinas are thinking when he jumps into the sea and takes off in a weird plane? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> and, and also, um, why does Alfred not want to apply suntan lotion to all those women? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. What's going on now? I've, so I've had this theory that he and Lucius are secretly lovers. Oh, really? Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I feel like they'd make a, 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 a cute older Very couple. Very cute older couple. You know, Alfred would do the cooking. Uh, <laughs> Lucius would bring home all the gadgets, you know. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, it just makes me laugh because he's so <laughs> Michael Caine's so. How do you say in Russian? Put on your apply your own bloody suntan lotion. Like he's so pissed off. It's yeah, like, mate, yeah, they're, yeah. They're all they're, they're all these beautiful ballerinas. Yeah, 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 yeah. It should be a pleasure for you, Alfred. Oh, if, God. Uh, yeah. I want to get back to Gotham and help you pound criminals. <laughs> these guys, these guys. So I've got. I've, I was very excited about this. Sorry, maybe, maybe maybe that's a throwback to the uh, the the slightly uh, queer Alfred of the Batman and Robin film, oh, yeah. who, who deliberately puts nipples onto the um, <laughs> costumes that he designs. Yeah. <laughs> if, he, if I'm going to help you out with this, I got to get something out of it. Myself. Wasn't that Grant Morrison's line that it's like, oh, it's, isn't it amazing how the Alfred of the Batman and Robin movie is so good with leather work? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fetish but, gear. Well, isn't it funny? George Clooney always played it was playing him as gay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're very queer movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was very excited at this, and I, I think I found mm. one way that you can make this movie better with yep. a simple move. Yep. And I feel a bit bad because this actor's really good. You know, Richie Costa, who plays the Chechen? Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Like, he's really good. Yeah, he's great. But is this movie just slightly better uh. if that's Antonio Banderas? <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, God. yeah. Great stunt Because I fucking love Banderas so much. He is, because <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I first saw him in Time Me Up, Time Me Down or Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown when I was about eight. But when I was about 18, I was dating a girl whose older brother was this delightful gay guy who, uh, Pierre, and he, <laughs> <laughs> and he was, uh, so I'd go over their house and he was like, oh, have you ever seen Pedro Moldova films? So I've been a, big Banderas fan from then. Yeah, great. And I've, I've loved him. And yeah. I, uh, his latest movie, Pain and Glory, I think it's called, uh, I thought he was so beautiful mm. and brilliant in it. And then I was just watching this and going, imagine if that was Banderas. <laughs> like, as if this movie needs any more stars. But how yeah, good yeah, would it yeah. be it if it fantastic. was Banderas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was going on with Scarecrow's gear? Uh, remind me. Well, they like he's selling oh, he's selling all... the fear thing. Yeah, so but yeah, so... I could see that. Yeah, a slightly modified version of it right. being a, a party drug. So why not? <laughs> right. That's a. So what, what? What do you do? You reckon it's like? What is it? Is it? Uh, is the fish called fugu? The way you can eat it and it can be the yes, yes, aphrodisiac or yeah. it can kill you. Yeah. And it's like, is that what the hit would be? It'd be oh, like. I would say that of pretty much any psychedelic, it could go either way. Right. Right. <laughs> so my next question is: Would you have a hit? A fear toxin? Yeah. No, nah, man. I've, nah. I've 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 battled my demons over yeah. the years. I don't need them uh, coming back. Yeah, I would, mate. I would not. Hey mate, we're gonna do you want to go halves and some scarecrow fear toxin? Uh, no, I'll be good. Oh thanks. mate, you know like ayahuasca's a big thing at the moment, oh, and I've yeah. had um, several people go, oh, "You've got to give it a go," and it's like, "I'm good, I'm, I'm good. good. I don't need to." I have enough trouble dealing with who I am. Yeah, I don't let need alone to fucking dig around in those pits. I've, I've done that. That no. was that's what your twenties is for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm now I'm trying to cover it all up so yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. to think about it. <laughs> now I'm trying to keep it locked in a box and hopefully it stays in there till I die. Uh, <laughs> Two, uh, two more questions for you. Uh, I group... So, you know, the last three Nolan movies, I, I've started calling the Misty Trilogy. Yes, yes. So you, this with Inception are his blue movies. Yes. Like they're really still blue. Yeah. Are there any reflections, uh, other reflections the movies might have? Like, you, you don't, by the way, you don't have to answer this question now because we're going to do Inception next. Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, they're obviously stories about obsession mm-hmm. um 
So maybe just something to think about. Yeah, leave that with me. Yeah. I, I definitely cannot wait to talk about Inception. Yeah. It's great. Um, you know, this movie is, uh, you know, Nolan speaks quite openly about the influence of heat on yes. the movie. Yep. And it's it's fun to watch the interrogation scene and think, yeah. oh, that's your fucking De Niro Pacino yeah, moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you really, you held on. Like yep. you really held on like that scene in heat. It's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to finish with a question that I always ask you, and uh, but I've got two, uh-huh. okay? So, like, two parts to it. So this one is, obviously, could you turn The Dark Knight into an ongoing TV series? You can turn the whole trilogy into yeah. an ongoing TV series. Yeah. yeah. How many seasons do you reckon this movie would be? Like if This you, specific movie? Like, if you were to... I, I feel like it's two seasons of ten episodes each. Really? Yeah, I reckon it's, I reckon it's a lot of the... Like, the first... The first half of uh, the first season of this f- movie would finish with Harvey Dent getting burnt. Yes, and then you could really go for gold in the totally. Yeah, if I have any critic, not and it's not even a criticism of the movie. It's more just because Two Face is my favourite villain yeah. in the Batman um, Rogues Gallery. If I had any um, disappointment with the film, it's that we don't spend enough time yeah. with Two-Face. So, of course, yes, the whole season of him would be fucking great. Well, it's interesting because I think the initial idea was that they were going to set him up for the third film. And I wonder if the third film is another gangster movie, if people would have preferred that. Like, The Dark Knight Rises still, you know, made over a billion yeah. dollars and sold a lot and still did really well. But I yeah. wonder if... I, I think a lot of people... When you read criticism, often... I think people don't really get into that it's a war movie. But they also kind of forget... I think a lot of people also maybe didn't see Batman Begins and don't really see it as... So they see it more as a sequel to The Dark Knight and they Mm. go, well, this isn't The Dark Knight. So I wonder if it had just been Harvey Dent as Two-Face in a gangster movie. I think for my personal taste, I would have preferred that. Yeah. Because that's the... As we've discussed... Ad nauseum, that is the Batman that I enjoy the most. Yeah. On the ground. Yeah. You know, um, I like Dark Knight Rises, but my my preference is for those stories within yeah. that world. So, you know, him battling the mob, the yeah. rogues gallery, all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if this was a two, like, if this was an ongoing series mm. uh, and this was the two middle seasons. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. And then you get the Joker and Two Face, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, Whipping up other people to put yeah. on costumes, and yeah. you know, uh, Penguin, you can take over Falcone's territory. Yeah. Riddler, you get the Salvatore's territory. Uh, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. Okay. Here's the second part of this question. I was yeah. really excited to yeah. when I wrote this down. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is very exciting to throw this to you. <laughs> How would you feel about a TV series mm. that follows a young Alfred and his adventures, including taking down the Madman in Burma? <laughs> Isn't that hasn't that been pitched as an actual series? Oh, has it? The Adventures of Young Alfred. Oh, I think it has. Oh, well, maybe it's a comic series or something. I don't know, but I've definitely heard of a depiction of a younger, much more kind of like SAS ex military Alfred. Like, what is going on with this guy? He has some fucking crazy stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw a jeweler's eyes of a tangerine, (laughs) 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 and I was just like, like it would almost be. Why are you a butler now? (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, imagine. Imagine having like a like a young Indiana Jones, not that young, yeah. but you know, early twenties. But you have like a, you know, Better Call Saul. Each yeah. season has black and white uh, bit that's it's and it's Saul after the events of Breaking Bad, sure, right? And that's all in black and white. Yeah. 
and then you go back to see yeah. the story that takes place before. Imagine at the start of each season of Young Alfred, uh, Young just Alfred. Uh, it's just you know Alfred, you know, writing his memoirs or something, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then it's Michael Caine, and yeah. then you go back and you see Young Alfred just fucking taking out assholes <laughs> all around the world. The reason I was so good at stitching up Master Bruce is for because I was in the bowl wall. Yeah, like imagine, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. And you'd see, you'd see him doing all these things where you go, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Now I know, now I understand why he's good at stitching. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Alfred begins. Alfred begins. <laughs> So good. All right. Uh, here's some squid bits. Uh, there are six shots that were filmed uh, or six scenes that were filmed using the IMAX cameras, which mm. totals roughly 28 minutes. Right. This was the first time that IMAX cameras had been used for a major Hollywood right. feature. Yeah, you yeah, forget yeah, that, yeah, don't right, you? Yeah. Still, uh, still not used that often. And you yeah. think, they look so good. So good. Uh, there was a stunt driver called... Jim Wilkie in the truck when they filmed the flip and the only CGI used was the removal of the ram that was used to initiate right. the, the, the trailer flipping. Yep. Movies have code names, as you know, so, uh, to keep a low profile while filming and this movie was known as Rory's First Kiss <laughs> after Nolan's son. I feel like that's a good title for something too. Rory's First yeah. Kiss. feels like a movie with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> There's actually a track on the soundtrack called Rory's First, First Kiss. Kiss. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, how good is Eric Roberts? Who's Eric? Oh, yes, yeah. of course, yes, yes, he, yes, yes, yes. He's like once again, like uh, Tom Wilkinson, just pitches perfect. Very funny. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's really funny. Very funny. Some of so this time I was watching some of his reactions when he's not talking, and they're really entertaining. Like, <laughs> like, like he and the Chechen are kind of impressed by the Joker's pencil trick. Yeah, like yeah. you can almost feel like, <laughs> like I feel like after that scene, like if this was a comedy, after that scene when the Joker leaves. Everyone's sitting there in stunned silence, and then Marconi would just turn around to the Chechen and say something like, "Where'd my pencil go?" <laughs> <laughs> like, just actually be. By the way, that guy's dead with a fucking pencil, pencil around his skull. So, uh, you know, <laughs> next five minutes is them trying to get the pencil. That's my lucky pencil. It's my good pencil. Uh, so I don't know if you knew this. This. The score wasn't nominated for Academy Awards because it supposedly broke a rule of having too many people involved in the creation. Three of the five people who were listed as helping with uh, the composing signed affidavits saying the score was primarily the work of Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard, but the Academy still refused the nomination. So it's it's crazy to think that they didn't even get nominated. That happened with There Will Be Blood as well. The score wasn't nominated. Johnny Greenwood couldn't be oh, nominated right. because of some weird technical weird. issue. It's like like heaps of people work on everything. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Like of course that it's just ridiculous. makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, Zimmer used tenuous high notes and rubbed razor blades against piano wire <laughs> to express the Joker's chaotic psyche. Great. Uh, when Lucius goes to Hong Kong, Lau is sitting in front of a bird in a cage, which is exactly uh, what he'll be later in the film. Uh, the constant licking that Ledger does was to help mm. keep the facial prosthetics from falling away from his mouth. <laughs> uh, the shot of Lucius landing in Hong Kong via the helicopter, that shot is repeated in Inception with the helicopter. Like really? It's, the exact you, when, same shot? Well, it's, it, like, it's, not the ex- it's not the exact same shot, but the way he films it is right, exactly... Okay. It, like it's When you look at it, you go, ah, oh, there's him using... There's, there's little things that... Because I've been watching them in close uh, succession, it's like... You know, even the moments when in the, they're in the plane and Batman Begins is Lau. It's a, just similarly... Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Echoes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
when the Joker hits the party for Dent, Kane had no idea what Ledger was going to look like. And so when they did rehearsal for the scene, he was so terrified, he forgot all his lines. And so they just kept that. So he was meant to have more lines. I think it's kind of reported that that was the scene, but it was actually in rehearsal. He just went, holy shit, like, what is happening here? Uh, An underrated part of the film, when the Joker hits Lau right in the face with that wad of money. It's a good throw. Like, he really, like, I watched it. He throws it. He's on top of a, a pound, like, all that money, and Ledger fucking scones him. Yeah. I couldn't stop laughing. It's like, man, that should be talked about more often. Uh, this is probably fairly well known, but Lodger, uh, Ledger locked himself in a motel for six yeah. months to prepare for the role. He kept a diary of his influences with old photographs of clowns, hyenas, and Malcolm McDowell in A Clockwork Orange, which Very makes good. a lot of sense. Yep. This made me laugh. The Joker wears a sticker supporting Harvey Dent on his nurse outfit. <laughs> That's such a small little Great. touch and it's like, yeah, yeah. oh, I better put this here. Yeah, real fuck you. Yeah, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, also, uh, the Joker killing lots of people but uses hand sanitizer. So he doesn't have COVID. So Very good. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. the main thing. Ledger's pause when the hotel explosion uh, stops for a moment. Mm. That's reported as an ad lib and it's not. It wasn't an accident. That was all planned because oh, really? they needed to have him walk out and just get that nice shot of him in front of the mm-hmm. hospital. I think if you would have had him walk out, you, it would have exploded and you wouldn't have known the... Yeah, like You course. wouldn't have taken in the enormity of it, but yeah. having him stop and pause it allows you yeah. to see how big everything is. Yeah. So that actually wasn't an accident, but the clapping for Gordon becoming commissioner was an ad lib. Yeah. He started clapping and they yeah. went, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, the Joker pushing Dent to fall metaphorically and then to fall physically shows why Bruce is the hero because he constantly gets back up. So yep. ergo learning that the reason you fall is to learn how to pick yourself up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ledger did try to egg Bale into hitting him in the interrogation scene. Like, that's, mate. Like, ba- Bale, once again, like, that scene with yep. Heath just going nuts. It's and amazing. then And then in The Dark Knight Rises, when Tom Hardy is punching him and you're looking going, mate, they fucking look like real body blows. Yeah. And you know Tom Hardy. Like, I... Uh, so, through a contact, someone who worked on Warrior with Joel Edgerton. Right. Uh, it's, it's suffice to say, Tom Hardy at times had to be reminded that this was a movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't no, doubt that. I don't doubt that yeah, either. Yeah. Like, I reckon, I reckon at the end of Dunkirk, he really did go and turn himself into the Germans <laughs> and lived in a concentration camp to really oh. follow it through. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Eckhart was inspired by Robert Kennedy Jr. to play Dent as a man who was idealistic, held a grudge, and took on the mob. So that's interesting. Great. The Lamborghini that Wayne drives is a Lamborghini Merchilago. And Merchilago, if I'm getting that word correct, is the Spanish word for bat. Ah. What are you doing, Bruce? Like, you're just putting it out there. It's like you want to be called. Yeah, totally. Uh, The Batman voice, which I have no problem with, is achieved with post production editing. Always, really? Yeah, I thought it was... I, I didn't know okay. that, but no, so that's Nolan. I wonder if Bale kind of cops shit and goes, oh, I like I put a bit into it, but fucking Nolan, man, I'm copping all this shit. <laughs> I always kind of think when people get upset about that, it's like, mate, it's just... He's just like Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot being carried around. He's just... He's a, he's a method actor. Yeah, of course. As, as if he's going to... 
when everything like once he puts on the costume, that's how he's going to talk. He's not going to. Well, you got to have some voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, by the way, let's just take in the last action scene with everything that is going on. Batman is trying to save innocent people. He's trying to stop cops from killing innocent people. He's trying to stop the Joker's crew. He's trying to get to the Joker to get the detonator. He's got Lucius in his ear telling him what is going on. And he's trying to keep faith in people to make the right decisions. And no wonder when the Joker mentions Harvey Dent being his ace in his hole, he goes, Ah, fuck, I've forgotten about that. (laughs) Um, This annoys me. People think that it's really funny that Dent doesn't realise that it's the Joker in the nurse's outfit until he takes the mask off. But I don't... Like, I, like I'm happy to laugh at things that are funny, but I... Like, the guy's waking up yeah, in of pain. Yeah. It just takes him a moment to focus. Yeah, of course. Like, it's not that he, at some point, thinks, this seems like a... Not, anyway. Oh, and again, it's expressionistic. Like, who cares? People are idiots. Right. Uh, my... Favourite line, uh, possible, uh, one of my favourite lines is uh, Gordon imploring Batman, we have to save Dent, I have to save yep. Dent. This is the guilt that will drive his family away, having lost working at Gotham and incapable of being the man he truly aspires yep. to be. That's what yep. that, that line is. Yep. Tells Rosetta you everything Stone. about where he's going to be. Uh, the photo, a few more points. Uh, the photo in the paper of Wayne taking off with the ballerinas is from the night he dips in the pool at the hotel and Batman begins. So imagine Rachel's thoughts when she not only sees that her night at the ballet is not going to happen, but then she sees that photo that reminds her of that night when he was doing that and it also reminds her when she was Katie Holmes. So that is a <laughs> big night for Rachel. Um in this movie, Rachel points out... Oh, this is the point that Sarah told me about. Uh, that she, Rachel points out that Bruce can't give up the mask to live a life, uh, which sets up Bane reflecting him to the extreme. And finally, the victory earned in the end ruins the soul of our heroes in the city. And while Batman races towards the light, before he can reach it, the credits go black and the movie is over. Thus, ah, they are trapped in their dark night. good. Very good. There you go. Felt, I felt like I found some new stuff Fantastic. for us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any last thoughts? No, not for me. Uh, it's uh, uh, it, it it as you said in the beginning, it remains a fantastic film. Yeah. Uh, despite people wanting to take bites out of it and pretend that it's um, somehow not as great as everyone thinks. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking excellent. And for me, I'm just glad that it exists because it launched um, Nolan into a place where he could make really, really big budget, yeah, crazy films a- and original original films, films as well, yeah. like yeah. which is hard to come by these days. Yep. And uh, one last thought was the lack of CGI is going to hold his movies. I only thought this yesterday is going to hold his movies in good stead for decades Definitely. because it means it doesn't age. Definitely. Like the movie still looks as fresh yep. as a, when it first came out. Yep. Funnily enough, the little bits of CGI in Batman Begins for Gotham mm. That was the first time I'd looked and gone, oh, I can see there's yeah. a little bit of CGI yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, digital. But it's like, it's not too bad. So that means these movies, yeah. it, it'll be like watching, I don't know, like I, I'm not saying, I, I'm not comparing these movies necessarily in any other way other than aesthetically like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. You know, they yeah. they look they still look timeless because there's yeah, nothing there. You dating know, it, yeah, dating yeah, it. digitally dating it, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, that's great, and it, it makes me very excited to rewatch The Dark Knight Rises now. Definitely, and very excited for you because it's your favorite Nolan movie next. Definitely. 
you to Rachel and Ben for being on the show today. Don't forget our live show on October 3rd at Giant Dwarf is only a couple of weeks away and we'd love to have your company on the night. Just a couple of quick reminders that over at my site, justinhamilton.com.au, there are blogs and short stories for your enjoyment as well. If you'd like to join our Facebook page, we'd love to have you on board. And remember, we have the private page, which anyone can join. It's just a place we can discuss ongoing shows without fear of spoilers, etc. We've had some nice stuff going on about Lovecraft Country of late. So if you'd like to have someone to chat with, please let me know and I'll sign you in. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be wrapped if you could give us a top review on whichever platforms you use to listen to the show. And feel free to invite like-minded people to be a part of our community. I'm going to leave you with some words from Heath Ledger, and this quote comes from a response about his approach to his art. And I have to say, I not only love this, but also attempt to adhere to it as well. It's also a nice straight-to-the-point quote. Heath said, If you're just safe about the choices you make, you don't grow. I hope whatever industry you work in, you avoid the easy choice, make the challenging decision, and enjoy the results that come your way. You know Heath would have respected you for it. Until then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.